Hello and welcome to the Racing with Robin Roller podcast. I'm Josh Roller here in Charlotte, North Carolina. I'm not a center for the University of North Carolina Tar Heels. Nope, not at all. Rob's in Indianapolis, Indiana, uh, home of the IEP5 Jaguars. So yeah, we both went there. Yeah, let's go. Used to be uh, what men's and women's team tip off basketball on Tuesday. I know by the time you're listening to this, it's already happened. Yeah, but uh, go, go Jags. Go Jags. Uh, Formula One was in Mexico City, and Red Bull took a big slice out of the Mercedes constructors' points lead. Now it's only one point that separates the two. Uh, but in Phoenix, Arizona, here stateside, NASCAR decided four championships. Like in 2020, uh, all of the national touring uh, champions were first-time winners, and the truck series has been Rose, started the year off with back-to-back wins at Daytona and wraps it up with a season championship. Daniel Hemrick is a NASCAR winner, finally, and by doing so became the 2021 Xfinity Series champion. Kyle Larson. The driver to beat all year long captured his first Cup Series title with a little help from a uh, caution and his pit crew. Uh, uh, Guido was in full force out there at Pit Stop. I know, it's so good. Uh, we have a lot to discuss in this show. And uh, let's go ahead and kick it off the way we typically do. Uh, let's go and start with the news. Rob's Racing Report. Rob, take it away. All right, going ahead and starting off with some of our news for the week. Going to go ahead and jump right in and talk about Formula One news. China has received an extension to remain on the F1 calendar through 2025. This comes after being left off the 2022 calendar and hasn't hosted a race since 2019. The contract is for the race to remain in Shanghai. Now, keep in mind that this is what's interesting. Like I said, China has not hosted a race since 2019. It's basically been canceled, postponed. Due to the pandemic for the past couple of years, and it's not coming back next year either, but it's got a re- an extension to remain through 2025. So I guess China is scheduled to come back, I guess, for 2023 at the earliest. I would assume we'll see what happens. Uh, but that's really all we got for Formula One news today. Now let's move on to some of the IndyCar news that we've got because we've got a lot more interesting, nice, juicy IndyCar stories to talk about. Finally, Silly season is maybe we might not finish silly season until like March, I'm guessing, because here we go. Chip Ganassi Racing will field five entries in the 2022 Indianapolis 500, one of which will be Jimmy Johnson, albeit this is unofficially confirmed, but it will be Johnson's only qualifying attempt on an oval. So that's interesting. So Jimmy Johnson is scheduled to attempt to qualify for the 20. 22 Indianapolis 500, which I am just stoked for. Now, if only we can get some other people to uh, from NASCAR to come on over there. I'd love to see the Bush brothers do it again. I'd love to see Kyle Larson do it. Uh, I know it would never happen, but I'd still love to see Tony Stewart do it one more time. Whatever. May, eh, you know what? He's not a NASCAR guy anymore, but uh, I'd still like to see Juan Pablo Montoya do it again. That'd be pretty rad. Just have a bunch of champions in this race. Have as many champions in the Indy 500 as you can so that every single fan gets as much bang for their buck and that everybody knows Indianapolis is the place to be uh, when when May rolls around. Uh, Speaking of, well, 
One guy that probably won't be in that Indy 500 is, uh, unfortunately, Nico Hulkenberg. He broke the hearts of many racing fans when he tweeted that he would not be racing in IndyCar next season, citing personal reasons. There's personal reasons, understandable. There's a lot, uh, you know, he might, you know, he, it's, it's tough to kind of commit to uprooting your entire family and asking them to move to a different country uh, all the way across the Atlantic Ocean, basically. Roman Grosjean, I don't know how he convinced his wife and kids to go along with that, but he finally finished his move over stateside, so Grosjean is has moved here. I believe I saw that on his Instagram either this past week or two weeks ago. But uh, I guess Nico Hulkenberg's not quite ready to take that much of a dive yet. It, he might not be ready at all. Who knows? But uh, no no Hulkenberg and IndyCar next year, despite a successful test. Now, uh, how about this? This was interesting. This is the last piece of IndyCar news that we're going to talk about here. The Detroit City Council has approved the Detroit Grand Prix's request to move the race from Belle Isle Park to the streets of downtown surrounding General Motors Renaissance Center. If the move happens, the earliest it would be would be in 2023. So, potentially, next year could be the last race in the raceway at Belle Isle. Obviously, it went down from a doubleheader race to just a single race, so we don't really have any road course doubleheaders on the schedule anymore. We have a doubleheader at Iowa, but no road course schedule doubleheaders anymore, which is kind of disappointing. Kind of marks the end of an era I feel like uh, yeah. IndyCar really tried to push those doubleheader ideas, and I thought they were very successful, very cool for a while. The two and TO, the, the Toronto doubleheader, I thought that was cool. Obviously, the duel in Detroit, you know, I, I have my opinions on Detroit, but it was always a, a nice little time uh, after the Indy 500, I thought, even though I felt like Texas or Milwaukee should have occupied that slot instead. I digress. Point is, uh, it's going to be, Interesting to see where they actually decide to put this new downtown circuit in Detroit. Don't really know what it's going to use. Don't think it's going to be anything like the old F1 layout from when they held an F1 Grand Prix in Detroit for some very odd reason. Not particularly sure. They would never do that today. American Automotive. American Automotive. That That's they, why. Again, they'd never do it today. No, no. They, 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 no, no, no. That it, Detroit is not a destination city. Well, you know, Detroit. you know, the only reason I would ever travel to Detroit, Josh, I'll tell you this: the only reason okay. I ever, and I apologize Seattle to everybody playing listening, the Tigers, to Seattle huh? playing the Tigers, the Mariners playing the Tigers. No, if oh, I no. went to a White Sox game, I have at, on the south side of Chicago to see the Mariners. That's about as far as I'm going. I'm not going any further than that. Okay, um, I would go, but if they came down and played an interleague matchup against the Reds. I'd I'd be there in a heartbeat. I love great myself some great American ballpark. Great American ballpark is a great, great ballpark. Place. But the number one reason that I would ever go to Detroit, Josh, you're not going to believe this. You're not going to believe okay. that this is my reason. Is the number one okay. reason is because it's the only place where Del Tacos exist in the Midwest. I never so heard of them. So you're going to Del Taco <laughs> is okay. is. I don't know how to describe it. It's not really like it's it's kind of like Taco Bell. It's better. It's more like an upscale Taco Bell. Okay. It's a fast food restaurant, and it also serves burgers and fries. Keep in mind, so it's not exactly Jack in the Box because Jack in the Box doesn't really do like straight up Mexican. They do have just have tacos and maybe some like cheap American Mexicano flair or whatever. Much as I love Jack in the Box, in fact, so much that I moved across the street from one. Uh, I have never had 
Del Taco before, and I've always wanted to have a Del, just Del Taco. I just want to try the food at Del Taco because it's like, you know, some people, they, they travel out west, you know, and the first thing they do is they go eat in an out burger. Yeah. You know, if I travel out, out west, I'm hitting up every single jack-in-the-box up I-70, and, <laughs> and I'm trying to find as many Del Tacos as I possibly can. Screw in an out burger, man. I don't care. <laughs> I'm just being honest with y'all. But that's the only reason, because it's the only place, Detroit it has the only location where Del Tacos exist in the Midwest. The furthest jack-in-the-box actually exists in Cincinnati. Every jack-in-the-box is out west. There's three locations in Indiana. There's just one in Cincinnati, and that's the furthest out east they go. But the furthest out east, Jack-in-the-box down goes. here. Is there really? Yeah. I take that back. I forgot there was some in North Carolina. So that's not entirely true. But I do know for a fact that the furthest out location of a del taco is in detroit and that's really the main reason if i was ever in detroit i would make it an absolute goal to sounds like you have to del tacos sounds like you need to make a road trip to the ford heritage museum and get del tacos for lunch or dinner on your way home we'll see we'll see yeah. i i love michigan not so much eastern michigan mm-hmm. i'm a much i'm a big i'm a big western and mid michigan guy uh, in terms of where I travel, when I do go to Michigan, I do go to Michigan quite often with my fiance. We love going to Michigan. Uh, it's a beautiful place up there. We were just talking before the show about Tim Allen, and I didn't. I I meant to mention that whenever I see a pure Michigan ad narrated by Tim Allen, like my heart melts. Like I love it. I'm a Hoosier. Like I am born and raised. I am probably the most Hoosier person in the world. I love my state vehemently. But as soon as I get, I get weak knees whenever i see one of those like my my eyes will tear up when i see and hear a tim allen narrated pure michigan ad hear, hear that pure michigan if you're listening to this uh we will gladly <laughs> play wait. your ad and we will record rob tearing up and uh, it can be part of your uh, advertising campaign uh for your next uh, seasonal cycle so there you go if it means i can meet the voice of buzz lightyear i'm all cool with it no and no not the not new Chris one. Chris Evans. <laughs> not Chris Evans. But actually, I'm actually like, excited to see that movie. That actually kind of looks like an interesting thing by itself. I'm actually kind of interested. Now, now, if we get a Lightyear movie, we need a Woody's Roundup movie is what we need. Right? Oh my gosh, you're right. We, ha- right, if we, we totally. got a Lightyear movie. Now Pixar needs to make a Woody's Roundup movie. Yes. Yeah. All right. Sure. I've gotten way off topic. Let's talk about NASCAR news instead of movies. And Tim Allen and Michigan and Detroit and Del Tacos. Starcom Racing confirmed on Twitter that the team has indeed sold its charter. The purchaser has not been revealed. Many people believe it to be Spire, but I believe it's Spire. no official confirmation has been given. So take that with a grain of salt. Yeah. But the tweet also indicates that Sunday's NASCAR Cup Series race was Starcom's last. So despite the fact that it was interesting that they had somebody testing a next-gen car, yeah. There's no apparent plan for Starcom to enter any races even as an unchartered team next year. Yeah. Kind of kind of sad, but then again, what do you You had I Quinn Houff like as your driver for the last 2 years. Yeah. You've done so much better. I I wonder what this team would look like with Landon Castle where they had you know, someone that I mean I would like to see this team I would like to see this team get put Kaz Grala behind the wheel at the super speedways and the road courses. They showed some decent potential when they first came in with Landon Castle. 
Yeah, I mean, Landon Landon Castle is is the best thing that a small team could ever have. If Rick Ware really wants to get better, best thing they could probably do is hire up Landon Castle. Forget Newman, forget Benedetto. Grab Landon Castle. He'll help your team more. That dude put a Morgan Shepard crap mobile in a top 10 qualifying run. At Las Vegas. At Las Vegas. Dale Jr. is 100% right. That is a Hall of Fame car. Get it in there, folks. I, uh... Yeah, I, I, I mean, you hate to see a team go, um, and I'm not gonna, and I'm not gonna say I'm happy to see them go by any means, but uh, I do wish that, I do hope that this isn't the last we see of them, and that maybe they kind of go through a, a mild rebuilding process, and I, I don't know how to, I don't know how else to word it other than the, than that, but just to get a, got a guy in there, or two. Who can put some together some solid runs at your wild card races, and that's the super speedways and the road courses. That's what I would do. So, uh, next piece of news here regards the truck series. Dean Thompson and good old Lawless Allen, who's always in a bunch of commercials on Mav TV about how we're parking wrong when none of us can afford his auto park it system. Can you afford that? No. I can't afford that. I don't live in a, an apartment complex that could even begin to afford that. I don't know any apartment complex that is livable by most of our listening audience <laughs> that would probably have an auto parking system. But he keeps, every time, I, I feel like I'm watching an ARCA race, every time Lawless Allen comes on the TV in a commercial saying, you're parking wrong. You wouldn't use your grandpa's phone, so why do you park like him? I'm like, dude, you don't know me. Forget you. If I want to park my car, I could park my car better and you can race your car. No, I'm kidding. Um, I didn't say that. I'm sorry. I was revealing news about Lawless Allen. It's good for him. I'm just saying his, whoever's directing his commercials is very bad. I, you know, I'm not digging Lawless Allen. I'm digging his, the, the, the director of his commercials. Okay. Because he's got a full-time ride at Nice Motorsports next year, and I don't. So, huh? you know, I don't want to, I don't want to, crap on him too hard because i don't really know i don't really think he's that bad of a driver i just i just get annoyed with his commercials he needs to come up with a new it needs to be at the very least marketed not it it appears right now to be marketed towards generic consumers and i don't know how any generic consumer has any need for an auto parking system i I don't think any no offense but i don't think the percentage of people watching mav tv is high that can afford I and doubt auto it, yeah. parking system. I mean, that's just kind of reality, I guess. He, he must make enough money to fund his racing career off of that. Yeah. So enough yeah. people must be buying it, right? Right. Okay. So he's, but anyway, so him, Lawless Allen and Dean Thompson, they're going truck racing next year with Nice Motorsports. Uh, at least one of their teammates will be Carson Hosevar. Next piece of news. This is, wow, this is interesting. I can't believe this. This is really sad, really bumming, bummed out. Uh, Zane Smith revealed the Racing Boys. I don't know who Racing Boys are, I guess. Are they a podcast or a, a magazine of some kind? Uh, website. A newspaper, a news outlet? Yeah, news outlet. Like yeah. a website? Okay. Yeah. Uh, that his plans were set before the start of the 2021 season. Now, And here's what happened to his plans. Because keep in mind, Zane Smith doesn't have a ride for next year. So here's right. what happened to his plans. Smith was slated to make the jump to Chip Ganassi Racing, but when the team was sold, it meant Smith was needing to find a new ride. So basically, when the team got sold, his contract became null and void, and he has now no plans for next year. 
Which would explain why he was one of the rumored drivers to be the second car or driver at Trackhouse. Yep. That makes, that actually does make a lot of sense. Yeah. I mean, it, I think, makes, it makes more sense that they went with Ross the boss, but. Right. I think Ross was probably, if I was, if I was them, when you look at the free agent market, like who are you going to, I, I, Ross is good. I, I like the old like, watermelon farmer. He's just yeah. got a really bad, uh, really bad hit strategy sometimes. I feel like that could be attributed to a lot of drivers. They'll have really good runs, and then something will go wrong on pit road. And yeah, in today's modern Cup Series racing, it's just not easy to make those spots up. Yeah. Anyway, uh, let's see here. Myatt Snyder will be Jordan Anderson Racing's full-time driver in 2022. Jordan Anderson Racing is one of several teams in the NASCAR Xfinity Series that is under the Richard Childress Racing umbrella, and it was reported in recent weeks that Snyder would be in an RCR-affiliated car. Good landing spot. I think that's good for both parties, I think. Yeah. Again, Mike Snyder is not a bad driver. I think he's underrated a little bit. And if you want my opinion, that win in Homestead was absolutely no fluke. I just think that RCR definitely... RCR is a weird anomaly because sometimes they'll be really, really good. And then other times they'll just be struggling and off the pace. There's just no consistency with them. It's not like Roush, where Roush is just consistently mediocre. You know, RCR, sometimes they'll look like one of the best teams in the world. Like Austin Dillon will look like a totally different driver. Tyler Reddick will look more like the Tyler Reddick we're accustomed to seeing. And well, no, Austin Dillon will look more like he looked when he was in the Nationwide in the Truck Series, when he was really dominant. He was just really, really good. Yeah, okay, he has a, a no-win Nationwide Series championship, but who cares? Three races I mean, that year were won by non-cup drivers. Yeah, exactly. And let's be honest, that's probably harder than it looks. Yeah. You you try winning a championship with no wins. Yeah. Without a playoff system either. Yeah. Without a playoff system. You just have to point your way through every the whole time. That's not easy. That's not easy, okay? But Austin Dillon sometimes will look like a totally different driver. He'll look like his uh 2010 to 2012 self, 2013 self, right? Yeah. And then Reddick will look like his Xfinity self. And other night days they'll look like garbage. And <laughs> I don't understand why. And Snyder, I think, was in the same situation where he'd have great, great runs and then other times run like garbage. And RCR needs to find some kind of consistency. So I'm hoping with the Jordan Anderson racing, they have a a little bit more consistency, albeit Sage Karam tried to wreck everyone on Saturday. We'll get to that. But uh, they more or less seem to have better, some decent consistency. So we'll see what happens, especially practice qualifying returning next year. Yeah, I think I think they learned a lot this year too with like Tyler Reddick and Ty Dillon and Josh yeah. Berry even behind the wheel. So they're going to be set for 2022. I think I don't know. I, I don't want to write them up as a playoff contender right away, but I think they'll be in the hunt at the very least. I I, I wouldn't say I wouldn't even write them off in the playoffs. I think they could make the top twelve. I don't think that's impossible for them. I, think, I don't think it's impossible. I would interested to see how the first 10 races go for them. Yeah. Um, just where, where overall speed is at. Next piece of news here. AJ Allmendinger told media at the championship floor media day that he will be in 12 to 15 Cup Series races next season for Colleague on top of his full-time Xfinity Series efforts. So hey, Allmendinger going more truck Cup racing next year. Colleague getting some more miles under their belt as a cup series team because keep in mind they're going full-time with justin haley justin haley at his final race was spire motorsports over the weekend <laughs> you see yeah Justin he posted something on twitter i guess um cory lajoy and and some other 
team members threw him a, a going away party and, and decorated it says uh what did it say congrats traitor <laughs> that sounds like Corey LaJoy though <laughs> that's that, what a lot of people got, were saying that's that got Corey like LaJoy written LaJoy. all over it so but keep in mind so Justin Haley's gonna go to Spire he's gonna be there full time and I think that's gonna be an interesting route yeah. because now excuse me he's going to colleague leaving Spire going to colleague and I think that's gonna be an interesting kind of pairing I think he's gonna need Almondinger to be there uh, during those 12 to 15 race weekends I think that's going to be a lot of help because as long as because I feel like Haley was able to learn a lot from having Almondinger as a teammate in the Xfinity series sure. I think he was able sure. to learn a lot with having Chastain as a teammate in the Xfinity series and I think even he could probably learn some things from Jeb too I'm sure they all learn stuff from each other but I just think that you know it seems like Almondinger and Haley are working pretty well as teammates and it's not not really a good idea to, to break them up I feel like at some of those races where Haley might struggle a little bit more, because it looks like Haley's Haley's gonna have no problems being an restrictor plate master. Uh, he looks really good on rovals, or excuse me, on, on on road courses, and well, basically rovals. He had good runs at uh, Indianapolis Road Course and um, at Watkins Glen too. But um, you know, I think that it's it's not impossible for. Almendinger to go out there and really improve colleagues overall because I know Matt Colleague will throw money at it until it wins but it's all about getting Justin a- acquainted to the cup car I know he's run full time but yeah. getting him up to date and acquainted to a cup car that's worthy and capable of winning which I think the colleague car probably will be considered I think Almendinger is going to really be really prove to be a big big asset for them Next piece of news here, and we're going to get into this real quick, I guess, as soon as we can. So The Athletic posted an article about Ryan Newman this weekend. Now, Ryan Newman has no official plans for next year announced. However, he has said to the media multiple times he is not retired. So Newman plans to race next year, doesn't know in what capacity, full-time, part-time, Cup Series, Xfinity Series, Truck Series, who knows. Newman will race next year, at least he wants to just doesn't know where part of the reason why he doesn't know where is he expressed some skepticism towards the next gen car he expressed some skepticism towards the safety aspect he expressed some concerns with the rigid nature of the car the lack of an inner liner on the tire the of kind of a frustration with a lack of not information being given from nascar to him he said he's been playing phone tag with NASCAR, trying to get some information. Josh, you had a theory that perhaps NASCAR is not giving him this information, kind of withholding it for him because he doesn't have a ride confirmed for next year, or perhaps because he's just been a royal pain in their butt for the last several years. I personally think, you know, this is more of a situation of NASCAR just dropping the ball entirely. I feel like they should be picking Newman's brain Right. Someone who has an engineering degree as well as 20 plus years of NASCAR racing experience. Mm-hmm. I don't understand why Newman is having such a hard time getting the information he's asking for from NASCAR. And, and is it also, is he, is it this a uh, thing where he's not seeing enough information? Maybe he's getting the information, but he's not getting the information he desires. Right, he might That's not be ideal. satisfied with whatever NASCAR has provided him, yeah. And he's looking to see some more of that data. What happened? And that could be that engineering degree mind. He's like, well, right, uh, where's where's the other twenty pages to this report kind of deal, you know? 
Right. And uh, I think Newman is justified in feeling this way. But it's a very interesting take because I know we've heard a lot. We've heard some skepticism from people in the know about the overall safety of the next-gen car being not necessarily questionable, but there being some questions about it. There was a, I think it was the Door Bumper Clear podcast before Martinsville. Mm-hmm. I think it was one, that one before. I can't remember the exact episode. But but they mentioned that some parts had been changed to address the, the rigidness of the car. Um, but they really didn't touch on it a whole lot. And they and I feel like they would be kind of be sharing, because they, they've hinted stuff before on that show about their concerns about it, and they haven't hinted on it recently. Um, I don't know, I'd be anxious to see, listen to their podcast from this week. It hasn't been released yet by the time we're recording it, or maybe it is, and we didn't have time to, you know, it's like releasing right now. Um, we didn't get a chance to listen to it. But yeah, maybe, they did, touch, maybe they did touch like on, huh? I said Dale Jr. Download is like that. It usually releases like, or they record or release it like right when we're, yeah, we're so recording maybe, ours, so we can't listen to it before we put ours out. Yeah, so maybe they maybe they talked about this. This I'm sure they talked about these Newman comments. I'd be shocked if they didn't. So um, I thought it was a good, interesting story. I thought it was a, it was a good point because it, it basically it confirmed that okay, Newman has no plans on retiring. He just yeah. doesn't know where he's going to be next year. And the fact of the matter is, he's also got some issues with the next gen car, which I thought overall made for a very interesting story because it's interesting to hear Ryan Newman's perspective on 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 that stuff. I wanted to hear his perspective. So we, that's who I would go to for anyway, a lot of yeah. this stuff. I mean, uh, I don't yeah, know if I he's tested a of... next gen car. That's my wonder. Do we know if he's tested? Like, has Roush let him test? Because I know they ha- they were testing with Chris Busher, but I don't know if they were testing with Newman as well. I don't. I think they had Newman out there. They might not have because he was leaving the team. Yeah, I don't think they had him out there at the Roval test, at least. Yeah, I didn't. Think I so. know he hasn't done any other testing. So Newman out. probably has no idea what. Yeah, and maybe these the other guys doing either because he's not been in, been been in it. Yeah, these guys also who have been in the car and they see the data. Maybe they feel different about it than someone he like Newman who hasn't been in the car. And is looking at the data. I, I mean, I again, I, I don't. Approaching William Byron and definitely asking him, like, what, what did you feel when that? And car the cars crashed? have gone through changes since that yeah. Auto Club test too. So, I'm, I don't know. I, but I, it would still be a good idea for new. It would be a good idea to test yeah. the brain of Byron and just be like, okay, where, what did you feel when, when the impact happened? Like, where, where was your pain initially? Because then that can tell you a lot about where the energy is going. You know, because the idea of having the safety features that they do, you know, is to keep as much of the energy from the from the driver, keeping the driver from absorbing as much energy as possible, basically making sure that, that energy gets absorbed by the rest of the car. And when you look at an injury like that, you can say, okay, well, here's where the driver, ex- here's where the driver experienced the most energy. You know, here's where the energy shit change and shift went and affected the driver as much because you know law of conservation of energy and all that stuff you know the basic physics i'm dumbing it down for yeah. myself and for everybody else but you know when you look at that that's a, that's an interesting question to ask is like where did you feel pain right after because then that can tell you okay where's the car more rigid where is it not transferring that energy to 
the rest of the car? Why is it transferring energy to this part of the driver's body? You know, that's stuff to ask. And yeah. I don't know if Newman is aware of that, if he knows that. I don't know if Byron shared that. I don't know if they've obviously it could be, like you said, outdated information because so much has changed since that auto club speedway test. But even then, I think it's good information to have. And yeah. I kind of sympathize with Ryan Newman's struggles here, not being able I do to too. get all of that data because, you know, I'm nervous. I'm worried. I don't want to go. I don't want to show up at Daytona and have the inevitable huge one break out and, and us and, you know, we injure somebody. Yeah. You know, that's not what I want to see. I don't want to see us have to red flag the race for 30, 40, 50 minutes because we got to put somebody out on a stretcher. You right. know, I'm not interested in seeing that. that. That's not what I'm interested in seeing. So NASCAR really, I think NASCAR needs to be more transparent, not just with the drivers, and but with the teams and with the fans. Because ultimately, you know, you're trying to make everybody kind of accept this next-gen car. You're trying to make it a big deal. but you have all these people that are being skeptic of it and rightfully so. All right. I think NASCAR at the very least owes people some kind of explanation. Some of the data that Ryan Newman is asking for that should indicate to us, you know, how much research they've done in improving the safetyness of the car and making sure that the crumple zones are proper and making sure that the energy, um, excuse me, the energy distribution is, is, is correct. So uh, that's all I'm going to say about that. Then we're going to move on to the final piece of nose here. This was big. This was breaking. Uh, Jayski first report of it. Then I saw Bob. Then I saw Jenna Fryer. Then I saw everybody. So I guess Jayski got a hold of the, tran- the the press release first and released it before everybody else did. Um, but anyway, though it's not finalized, Speedway Motorsports is set to acquire Dover Motorsports for an approximate value of one point one. Excuse me, one hundred. And $31.5 million. Now that, I believe Dover Motorsports is publicly traded as opposed to SMI being privately owned by the Smith family. So, and I keep in mind, this is not owned by NASCAR. So I, I think a lot of people are were freaking out, worrying about the future of Dover. And I'm like, look, I don't think anything's going to happen to Dover. I don't think anything's going to happen to Nashville right now. Um, I, I Nashville... Nothing's going to happen to it right now. Dover, however, I think Dover's safe. Yeah. I think and uh, if Dover what's... isn't safe, they're screwing up big. Yeah. They're I think uh, what this kind of one of the first things that came to my mind, everyone said, oh, this opens up the door for Nashville Fairgrounds just to take Nashville State. This does two things. One, if they want to keep Nashville Super Speedway and Fairgrounds, they're under both the same control. It's easier to co-promote than cross-promote you know uh, uh, and compete against each other two all-star race in nashville tennessee anybody that's what no i think you're absolutely right and i think the fact of the matter is everybody i think a lot of people are misinterpreting this thinking this is isc if isc is buying this then 100 percent yes i absolutely believe that they would kill dover in a heartbeat but because this is an smi acquisition I don't think that they're going to kill Dover because usually SMI tries to find places for all of its tracks. Yeah. You know what I mean? They they're not they're not really willing to give up tracks entire dates as much as like NASCAR's willing to do right now as they have ISC. Right. So I feel like Dover's a, a little bit more safe. I, I Dover Dover's unique too. I don't think is. Dover's and Dover has can produce some of the best racing out there 
when it's Dover is way too unique. Dover yeah. is in way too unique of a location and a market. It is in yeah. New England. How many races do we have in New England? It's in Mid-Atlantic. It's right above. It's in between Philadelphia. It, it's not in between Philadelphia. Yeah, it's in between Philadelphia and Washington, D.C. Oh, that's, that's not New that's, England. It's not really. Yeah, I, I'm not. sorry. My fiance used to live in Delaware. I should know these things better. Okay. It ser- it kind of serves that Washington D.C., Baltimore, Philadelphia. I guess I was, yeah. I guess I'm equating it more with Philadelphia, in that sense. I I feel like a lot of Philadelphia race fans who are not willing to make the drive to Pocono definitely go see Dover. Yeah. It's and Dover is not a bad track to see. I think I think no. if I'm gonna go see a race. I'm gonna go see one at Dover. Right. Because I feel like there's not a bad seat in the house at Dover. No, I would agree. I, I think agree. this is this is this is a. This is a good move. I mean, there's one thing that um, it's kind of been nice since SMI and I was I see ever. I don't think ISC might have been public at one time too. But since they have not, since Speedway Motorsports Incorporated SMI has is been public or uh, privately owned Speedway Motorsports LLC, um, you haven't been able to see the reports and numbers and everything as a stockholder. Well, Dover has been the only kind of key into these 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 windows and now we're not we're kind of that's the kind of thing that stinks and now we're losing that but and pocono's only got one date now and i don't yeah, know pocono, pocono, and pocono, pocono is private too right private too so um, so they wouldn't even no they wouldn't have that but now that literally means that ims and pocono are the only two independently independent. owned nascar tracks yeah and that's well and if they're willing to take a, a race away from pocono now too that gosh who knows what's gonna happen yeah Rob, I think it's time for the feature paint scheme. Yeah, you're leading, so go yeah. ahead and, and, and tell us all about what uh, the feature paint scheme is this week. So this last weekend was the last race for the Gen 6 car, debuted in 2013, and uh, with the next Gen car definitely being run at the Clash and the dirt race at Bristol, it's officially retired. Uh, so Rob and I, for the feature paint scheme, we are doing our favorite Gen 6 NASCAR paint scheme, non-Darlington throwback, because that just complicates things. Um, so a regular paint scheme, non-throwback from Darlington. Um, Rob, <laughs> why am I not surprised you picked this one? Why don't you share everyone with you? I know you, you always, you have talked very highly of this paint scheme in the past. So I'm not surprised that you picked this one to share in this segment today. All right, well, here's the thing. I could have been biased and picked a bunch like Casey Kane or Danica Patrick. I could have been biased and just done that. Yeah. Or I could have gone through every single year of the Gen 6 and picked literally my favorite paint scheme. I did the latter. I went through every year of the Gen 6 and picked my favorite paint scheme, period. Now, uh, you know, there were, there's a lot of tough choices, you know. There was a lot uh, of tough was, choices, yeah. There was a lot of tough choices. You know, there's, there's those Brian Scott Shore Lodge cars that ran. Mm-hmm. Those were very good. Yes. Uh, there was the Matt Kenseth before. The, there was a brief time that Matt, uh, Matt Kenseth ran. I think it was in 2013, maybe 2014. can't remember. Home Depot did sponsor the car as Husky Home Tool. Depot for like a race or two. Yeah. But it wasn't Husky Tools? No. It was actually Home Depot. Oh, okay. I'm, actually, I'm going to look this up because I'm pretty sure it was actually Home Depot because... I actually came very close to, to saying this, too. I think it was 2014 that they did this. 
I'm going to look this up. I'm on JSKI right now. I'm looking this right up. I am. This is terrible radio right now, but I'm looking this up right now. Looking at it right now. Yeah, I'm looking at it. Yeah. Uh, yes, here it is. Yes, you're, you're seeing it, the orange and, and black. It has Husky tools on the top, but it's more orange and, and black. Now, this yeah. one was a very close one. I almost went with that one. But the one that I, I, I had to go with, like the one that I had to go with because it was simply the best paint scheme that ever ran on anything, is Ryan Blaney's number 12 PPG Ford Mustang. Now, he ran this car in 2018 as a Fusion. Then he ran it again in 2019 as a Mustang. He has not run this car since. Really? It it really bugged me. Yes. He's not run this paint scheme since. It has been run by Joey Logano, and it's been run by Austin Sindrick in the Xfinity Series. It has not been run by Ryan Blaney. I think Brad ran it, too, in the two. I can't remember if Brad ran it, but I know Joey ran it. But anyway, I love this paint scheme. It it brings out everything about the Gen 6 that it should. You know, you have a fading blue into white. It's It literally looks like you took a, a Bob Ross's painting mm. palette and just yeah. brushed it all across the side of the car. You know, it's pink, it's red, it's it's yellow. It it all blends together. Like it literally, it blends like a Bob Ross painting would. It, you would blend it in a Bob Ross. So was, you're blending the painting here, and I I love I even love the the top the way the top of the car fades away into the white. There's so many good paint schemes, and and I think that you know, there's as as I look back on the Gen Six, I'm definitely going to miss it because of these paint schemes. I'm gonna. As as you all are very well aware, I'm I'm still struggling to adapt to the new paint schemes that we're going to see in the Cup Series next year with the moved forward numbers and all that. It's going to be very difficult for me to adapt. So looking through all of these these cars, these paint schemes was so nostalgic for me in a weird way. Even though the Gen Six car literally came out when I was a senior in high school, <laughs> so it's it's weird, but um. It, 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 it's it. This one may, may might have been my favorite. This this PPG one. I really like this paint scheme. I'm curious to see if it'll make its way onto a next gen car and what they'll do with that. Uh, but for right now, I want to appreciate it for just how good it looked on the Gen Six and just how beautiful of a paint scheme that we can really create when when we think about the. I mean, it. If you didn't know what PPG was. You would look at this and be like, oh, I imagine this has to do something with paint, right? And that's yeah. exactly what it needs to convey. And I feel like it's just so perfect in that sense. Like, there's not a lot of paint schemes that you look at it and it's like, oh, I know exactly what this product is. You know, this is one of those paint schemes where you look at it and even if you have no idea what PPG does, you at least, at the very least, know that it has something to do with paint. And I don't yeah. think that there's a lot of paint schemes where you can say that right off the bat. And this is one of those that you can, and and I just really appreciate it for that for that reason. So, Josh, go ahead and tell us about yours. I like you. There's a lot um, of paint schemes out there. Um, unlike you, I guess I am going to go with a guy who I, I who I cheered for, and I'm going with Jeff Gordon's number twenty four Imran Elite Chevrolet SS. Uh, this was. Fire. This paint scheme was fire. And no, it's not because it had flames on the side of the car. Uh, the nose was black, along with the rear, like, quarter panel on 
to the rear of the car. Uh, the middle was yellow, and the flames were yellow with red lining. The black areas uh, uh, were, were red as well, um, kind of faded into red. And one of the most unique parts about this is that the typical yellow 24 was black. Um, one of the very few times Jeff Gordon drove the 24 and the 24 was not yellow. They were the only, it definitely happened more in the Gen 6 era, those last three years of his uh, full-time career. It happened more then than it did prior to that. Um, but yeah, this is, uh, the single time it raced was at Talladega in April of 2013. He started ninth, finished 11th. Um, I just love this car. I remember I wanted the die cast from the, for the very get go. I saw this car and I even asked my dad, like jokingly, I, 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 I preface, I'm joking when I say this, dad, I want to repaint my car, which was an 01 Pontiac Grand Am. I want to repaint my car, this paint scheme, dad. That's how much I love this paint scheme. I love it. And, and here's something too. I don't know. I mean, Jeff Gordon fans out there. You might think, Josh, this is the worst paint scheme ever. What are you talking about? Or you could agree that it is a solid paint scheme. Here's what I'm going to say. This paint scheme wouldn't work on a Camaro. It only works on an SS. Um, I, I, I don't know if that's too much of a hot take. Again, not a pun to the flames. But I love this paint scheme. I love this paint scheme. It's kind of funny we both chose paint-related sponsors uh, for paint schemes <laughs> on this. But uh, yeah, we... This is a good car. There, there was a lot of good paint schemes. There's going to be a lot of paint schemes that um, that are classic from this. Was that ten year or nine year, nine seasons worth of, of of racing here? So you chose a good one. There's a lot of ones, Rob, that we left off on this one. We, we there were you know, a lot of ones that I wish we could have done as honorable mentions. We could have. You know, I would have had like a list of ten. Rob, we decided this last week, right? After the last show, we decided this is what we're going to do. Is what we're going to do. We should have done like a top five. That's what we should have done. We should have done a top five favorite paint schemes from the Gen 6 era instead of just singling out that. one. We can, we could still we could, st we could still do that. We could still do that. Yeah. Well, that was a featured paint scheme here, folks. Uh, we're going to move on. Rob's going to kind of kick us off with Formula One. I was unable to watch this race. All I know is that. Uh, Max for stopping. He really put a lot of trust into those brakes on uh, the first turn of that race, and that's kind of all she wrote. So, Rob, just kind of walk us through this real quick because we do have three championship races to go over today. Oh, boy, yeah. Let's get through this F1 race. So, definitely, start of the race was pretty much the be-all, end-all. Botas got completely eaten up in the first corner, then got punted by Ricardo. And basically, that was the end of Botas' day, and he ended up later battling Ricardo later in the race. Uh, Botas just got unlucky again. Yeah. Drove an absolute mega lap in qualifying, only to get taken out in the first corner. It sums up Botas's. It really does. Kind of sums up this poor guy's like life, right? Yeah. But anyway. It was basically down to some interesting, you know, he had some pretty decent, interesting tire strategy going on. I thought, Bo I actually thought Botas was going to have a better time, easier time, because when he came in, he made his he, he made his pit stop under the first safety car, and he switched to the hards. And I actually, for for a moment there, I thought, okay, this might be a good idea. He might, it, it, it he could go the rest of the race probably on these hard on this hard set of tires. You know, it wouldn't be impossible. 
he could go the rest of this race on his hard set of tires and potentially pull off some kind of decent points finish. I, I legitimately thought, like, all right, Botas, dude could get fifth. Um, no stopping from here. You know what I mean? And just didn't happen. He just couldn't get around traffic. Traffic was just so heavy. DRS was not as effective as I think I thought it was going to be. Or maybe it was more so that guys couldn't get into DRS zone like I thought they could. I will say, though, one of my favorite one of my favorite parts about this whole Mexico racetrack is when they show this camera shot. Um, you know, they had, if they go two consecutive camera shots, like uh, flyby shots. Uh, on the front stretch, yeah, literally sounds like Indianapolis. Literally mm-hmm. sounds like Indianapolis. It gives me goosebumps every time I do. It. I wanted to. I wanted him so badly to do it more. I want to see that flyby camera, like on the second lap, or like the second lap of green flag action. You know, when yeah. everybody's just flying by. I want to hear those cars go by that camera, go fly by. I wonder what it would be like to be in the crowd, sitting down there, and just getting to actually watch this. I mean, these cars, the, I mean, the, the straightaway, the front straightaway at Autodromo Hermanos Rodriguez is insanely long. It is insanely long, and it creates for these, like, Indianapolis-style sound moments. And I just, I love that. I go back, I was all throughout, while I was watching practice, I was watching qualifying, and every time that happened, I had to rewind the TV, like, twice just to hear it again. I was just, oh. I love it. And anyway, uh, that was, besides that, you had a pretty interesting battle. Great run by Sergio Perez, who becomes not only the first Mexican to lead the Mexican Grand Prix, then he also became the first Mexican to stand on the podium of the Mexican Grand Prix, which is very huge. If you heard any, I don't know if you saw, but the stadium section was going nuts for for Checo. Yeah, uh, before I saw the, the race, last, I saw like the last fourteen laps of the race, and they were going pretty crazy for him. Before the race, there was a video that F one put out. There was a whole chant in the stadium section just for Perez, and this was had to have been multiple hours before the race even started. They're in the stadium section waiting for the race to start. Have hours before the race starts, so they're chanting for Perez. Like if you are Perez, you have to sit there and realize, dude, this whole country loves me right now. Like, I am the pride of Mex- Mexico right now. I mean, he, and he was. He was on that day. But, uh, there, yeah, Max Verstappen ended up winning this race. It really wasn't much of a battle between him and Hamilton like it was most of the time. This was pretty much a cut-and-dry Verstappen lead. Like, as soon as he took the lead, I mean, he, he broke so late on that start. I was so surprised. I thought at first he blew the corner. I thought he blew the corner. And he wasn't going to be able to get down, and Hamilton was going to overrun him on, uh, on on the next set of cutbacks. But Max made it stick. I don't know. He just had more bravery. He had to. I oh, mean, sure. on that start, of that start, I legit thought he blew the first turn. But That's a he pure managed need. to make it stick. Yeah. I mean, you watched. I watched. You watched the onboard. I watched Botas's onboard of that first lap. It, it, Right, going in, he was going in there three wide. First of all, Lewis is on his inside, and Verstappen is on his outside. And he's like, "Wait, wait a minute! I was a pole sitter. What happened?" <laughs> um, but anyway, he breaks, and then it's like two seconds later is when Verstappen breaks, yeah. and and even then, from Botas's point of view, if I was Botas in that point of view, I would have been like, "Dude, he just blew the corner," and then all of a sudden he turns in and he makes the corner. It's like what? 
this dude had traction control or something. I, I don't think he did. I'm not saying no. they're cheating. But, dude, it seemed like that. I mean, man, it was a great start by Verstappen. I mean, and it showed from right then that he, he deserved the victory. Now, I don't know what's going to happen because it seems like Verstappen's got a very big get uh, gap, a bit of a gap. 19. Now a 19-point lead over Hamilton, which yeah. is relatively sizable. Now, considering what what we've been dealing with the past several races. Yeah. Um, the last piece of news, though, I want to talk about here in the Formula One race is, and I tweeted about it. I tweeted about this. Uh, Antonio Giovinazzi started pretty well. I think he started like 10th or 11th. And he got off to a great start. You know where he was running in the first part of the race, Josh? Gio was 6th. Gio was 6th. Do you want to know what happened? To drop him out of sixth place? Yeah. Terrible Alfa Romeo strategy for the 50th race in a row. I was going to guess that. I swear someone is sabotaging Gio's races because they don't want him to have success. There is no way he should be displaying that amount of pace on, on qualifying and on the race starts and end up not even finishing in the points. That guy should have had at least five or six points scoring finishes. And he has had Z, like oh, one or two to his name because Alfa Romeo can't figure out how to pit him properly. And it is so frustrating to watch because it's like I legitimately want this guy to have success. But I also, you know, I also want Alfa Romeo to perform to the best. And I feel like every week I see Giovinazzi give a great performance in qualifying and he has a great start of the race. And then as soon as that first pit stop comes, someone screws up pits him at the wrong time or has a problem on the pit stop and he loses like 15 or like five spots. I don't know why I said 15. That's probably, 15 I'm thinking seconds. NASCAR. 15 seconds. 15 seconds, five spots, basically. Yeah. And it's yeah. ridiculous. I, and I feel like if, if I, it just blows my mind, like Alf Romeo is sitting here, like you're trying, you're going to recruit Valtteri Bottas to your team next year. And you can't even get the strategy right on Giovinazzi who has easily, he outpaced Raikkonen. He's out-qualifying Raikkonen, right? Oh, yeah. He's out-qualifying Kimi, and every time he goes out there and has an opportunity to score decent points, it, it gets taken away from him. It's just not fair. It's not fair, and I don't understand why Alfa Romeo would not be trying to remedy the situation because, you know, once is a mistake, twice is a habit. And yeah. This has happened like five or six times now this season where Giovinazzi has been in the points. He makes his first stop, and then all of a sudden he's like 12th or 13th. And you're like, what happened? When did this happen? How did this happen? And there's not much he can do because he's just, he just lost too much time. He doesn't have he doesn't have DRS, and he doesn't have the means or the ability to pass. He's not able to pass. Everybody's, you know, it, what are you going to do? You, you can't give up that much track position on 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 a pit stop you yeah. just can't especially not in in formula one at the highest form of motorsport you cannot be making these many mistakes and you're just making your driver look bad because yeah. then what's what's going to happen at the end of the season is alpha is going to go evaluate geo and be like oh well you don't have very many points finishes so you know your, your services will no longer be needed and he's like it's not my fault yeah. look at where he, i qualified to where i finished i feel and, like and i feel like it's my fault Kimmy's had a, a few problems with that too. It's just, yeah, it's not just it's not just it, Geo. It's Kimmy as well, but it's more yeah. prevalent for Geo because is. his outstanding per qualifying performances are being overshadowed by terrible race strategy. Yes, 
I, I agree, because I, I felt the same way multiple times, even last year, too, where, like, he just... They shoot themselves in the foot. I'm like, well, you could have had a point or two, and you screwed yourselves out of it because of poor pit strategy, or poor... or Yeah, pit strategy coming in too late or too early, and then... On top of that, they'll tack on. Oh, by the way, we instead of having a two point two second pit stop, we had an eight point seven. Congratulations! The fact that they are ninth in the constructors' championship blows blows my mind right now. Well, they okay. weren't this bad last year when it came to the points either, because I in two years ago too. Even I, last year, they yeah, were last still better year. than Williams. Now just, George Russell has a couple of good points finishes, and they're ninth. Because yeah. they can't capitalize on good qualifying p- performances by their drivers. Yep. Well, that was Formula One. Let's move on to the first NASCAR championship race that we will discuss the the show, and that's the Truck Series on Friday night. Uh, I felt so bad, and I had a feeling... This is going to happen too, and I and I really kick myself for thinking this. I'm like John Hunter Nemechek's going to have an issue here. I got this feeling that today is not going to be his day, and it wasn't. Lap one issues into the wall, then gets hit, then has more contact later, and has a flat tire go down. Um, has to pit, loses uh, loses two laps. And he doesn't get that both laps back until what fifty to go in the final stage of the race. He needed about twenty more laps. He needed another caution. You're to yeah. Have he had a the legitimate fastest, shot at that win. He had the fastest car that race. Or fastest now that's what's that disappointing race. is because I feel like at Martinsville he was being way too aggressive, but I feel like here, I mean, it's just it, it's it's you can't I can't say he was being too aggressive because it's it's the start of the race. You have to be aggressive. Yeah. But I feel like you know he got up and he got up into the, into the gray area a little bit, and he tried to back out of it, and he nicked the wall, and then everybody. The problem is when this is this is a pet peeve of mine, I guess. When you're driving, is when you get up, when you get in that situation, you get up out of the groove a little bit, and you get up into the wall, and drivers don't give you room to merge. Drivers well, don't give you room to merge. Guys just start chopping you. Well, you know sometimes I mean? you just don't have lap. the ability to give them room either. But no, I that think also that could the, be the, the whole contact the... there with yeah, well, that John was... Hunter and and what was it? One of the the Young's Motorsports cars that put his tire down. Yeah, well, that know, was. I looked at that and I just think, was... I, I'm like, if you see a car coming off the wall, maybe you should go a little low, give that guy a little bit more room so he doesn't, you know, and run into you. Was the spotter relaying to him? Oh, car, car, car pie, car pie. You know, was I that? Don't know. Yeah, yeah spotter's got to be better than that. Spotter's got to be better than that and be be like, hey, car high, car high might be coming low because he's got damage. You know what I mean? Right. And like I felt bad for information to your driver, so your driver knows. Okay, I need to get below the apron here real quick, and it might affect me for like a lap or two. But at the end of the day, it's not going to cause my truck to have a bunch of damage. Right. And that's what ended up happening. You know, I mean. I'm not really putting blame on anybody. I'm saying it's, it's more of a racing incident, but it's one of those situations where I feel like it still could be avoidable if there was just a little, bit, a few more people paying attention a little bit better. Um, I feel like if John Hunter's spotters telling him, "Hey, there's, you know, you're on the on the top four wide, basically," which it looked like he was for a while there, 
you know, hey, stay high, don't come down off the off the wall yet. And I feel like other spotters need to be relaying to their driver, hey, there's a car up high, he's on the wall, he might be coming down, get a bill, maybe go a lane lower, give him some space. Right. I don't know. I mean, it's it's easy. Like I, I say this a lot on the show, but it's easy to be Monday morning crew chief. Yeah. But so it's easy to say by me, but you know that's just how I feel. Like again, John Hunter. John Hunter just had some bad luck. He he didn't qualify super great, which is no. really what's what shot him. The car was great, uh, long run, but he didn't have a good short run car. Uh, I feel like, and that's why he didn't qualify so great. And I think when you, I think if this was one of those weekends where they set the the standings by that formula or whatever, and John Hunter was like up front, he doesn't have he's I, this doesn't happen. He probably wins the championship, but yeah, because he has a bad qualifying attempt, he he starts back there with people he doesn't need to be starting back behind, and it kind of ruins his old race. But again, they did do a really good job of rebound. They came back, they got both laps back, and they were in contention to at least make a run at it with 50 to go. But like I said, he needed another caution in about 20 extra laps to really have had a much better shot at the victory. It just wasn't meant to be, I guess, for John Hunter. But that's why he's coming back next year. I think he's going to learn a lot next year. Because I feel like John Hunter, he's not really been in a situation where... I felt I just felt like at Martinsville he was being too aggressive, and I felt like maybe he should have approached Phoenix he should have approached Martinsville the way he approached Phoenix, which yeah. was he had much more patience at Phoenix, maybe because he hit the wall early or whatever. I don't know what the reason it was, but he had so much more patience at Phoenix than he had at Martinsville. He was shown at Martinsville. And I think that if he had been able to show that patience at Martinsville, it would have paid off for him at Phoenix. But again, like I said, Monday morning crew chief, whatever. But those are some of my observations of the truck race. I don't have no major issues with Ben Rhodes winning. I mean, the dude. I mean, when you look when you look at some of the, this is the thing about when you when when you award the championship in this way. There's always going to be those guys that win the. the there's always going to be that t- the chance that the guy who wins the title is the guy who shouldn't even have a chance at the title in the first place. And then there's those opportunities where the guy who wins the title isn't necessarily the favorite, but you can't look back on it and say, "Ah, oh, well, you know." You can't say he didn't deserve it because he he had this average finish and he had this many top fives and you know if it was any other version I guess he probably would have had a shot at it anyway you know yeah. so I look at the Ben Rhodes deal and I like well it, he falls into that category where you know he had a really good average finish he had a solid he had, he had a solid amount of top fives a lot of top fives he wasn't maybe as flashy in the win column as John Hunter was but John Hunter was not as consistent as Ben Rhodes and I think. When you look at that, I kind of say, eh, okay, uh, you know, I think everybody went into that saying this was John Hunter's championship to lose without really realizing just how quiet and patient and methodical Ben Rhodes has been running. Because even though Ben Rhodes isn't, he outside of those first two season opening wins, the dude's just kind of been there. But yeah, not, I got he's it wrong. Not been there as in like running 15th. He's been there as in running top five. Yeah, I mean, I got this guy wrong. I think we had a question pretty early on, like, do you see Ben Rhodes as a championship four contender? And I downshifted, and um, you know, I, I don't stand. I, I can't. I won't say I stand by that still. But as the year went on, yeah, he was always there. He was he was where he needed to be, top five, earning max points, um, not allowing 
an opportunity to push it to take a fifth place run to a twelfth place. Always was there, and dang, that's what he did this race too. I mean, he was running; he was the best of the championship four runners. The majority of the race, the only time he really wasn't was Zane Smith got ahead of him, and I. It, I don't know if I felt confident in Zane Smith because of the way the 99 truck was driving. But I'm like, well, Zane, you, you better learn how to defend and uh, defend quick about a bump and run. And that's kind of what he did. Uh, and Rhodes did to Zane Smith. I definitely and, think NASCAR, some people were bringing up the idea, the thought that NASCAR probably was hoping for some bumps and runs to decide championships when they moved the thing to Phoenix. Because you can't yeah. really bump and run to win a championship at Homestead. No, but at Phoenix, you can. Phoenix, you can. I mean, Sands. For, you're not. Uh, you're not moving it to Martinsville, Martinsville or Bristol or something. But Phoenix, if you're moving it there, yeah, at the very least, you can bump and run to win yourself a championship. We saw it basically two out of three times this weekend. Yeah, I, you could have. If the, the the final race on Sunday would have got a little bit closer, you. Definitely would have seen if you had a, a green-white checkered finish. That's for dang sure. You would have seen some some nut, uh, nutty moves out there. Um, but I wanted to point out here, too. Stuart Friesen didn't have the best regular season. Kind of just got into the, into the playoffs. And he did really well. I'm hoping... Because I, I was high on Stuart Friesen. They moved to Toyota... In 2020, things did not go well. Of course, you had COVID and the shutdown there. Building trucks on their own. But this year, finally got kind of got back to that 2019 Stuart Friesen and team where they were a threat to win every week. And he went out, goes out there and finishes second in this race. So I, I kind of hope to see Stewie do in that team do what they're doing or what they did in the last five races of this truck series season all next year. Just saying, I just kind of want to give that guy a shout out. Um, anything else that stood out from this race, race Rob, that, that Ben Rhodes post race press conference, where that's he was true. drunk as <laughs> drunk. Off. Yeah. Hey, hold on. I got this. Like he was, you like, have not oh, seen my. this video that Alan Cavano uh, edited together. You need to see this. It is. I haven't seen that incredible. one. Incredible. Is, Alan Cavana edited together the best moments, basically in a in like a two or three minute video. Did he, did he, best did he, moments, best things he said. There's like a moment at like the minute mark where he's still talking, and the PR person comes over and gives him a bottle of water and takes the beer can away. Well, tell us where we can find this, Rob. It's on Twitter. Alan Cavana tweeted out. Okay. Tweeted it out. Okay. So Alan Kavana, so, you know, the old Fox yeah. pit reporter who got wrongfully fired for some stupid reason so that they could, I, I, I guess, have Regan Smith be a bigger presence on the broadcasts or something. I don't know. Well, that, that's, I, that's the Regan Smith to go back blocked me on Twitter and I'm still not over it. So, oh, gosh. Uh, so, all because I told him to not be in a motorsports elitist. I didn't like the fact that he was saying all this stuff about how NASCAR is better than every other series. I'm like, don't be like that. Don't, if you're in the media, don't be like that. Don't perpetuate this kind of stuff. And he blocked me over it. He blocked me over it. I, we've been over this before on the podcast. We know, yeah, you, you expressed it. Here, I won't, I, I won't, I won't write something up on the board here. This, this, this fictional imaginary board behind me. I won't, I won't write one up there for you. 
because number one you know, enemies list of the show before it even started was Regan Smith. That's <laughs> okay. <laughs> let's not let's not write any more enemies here. Let's go ahead and move on to the Xfinity series. <laughs> so so congratulations, Candler Smith. By the way, dominated this race, um, and he goes out there and wins his second career win, and Ben Rhodes on the championship. By the way, Thor Sports' first owners championship because. When Crafton won his, it was like the 51 truck, I think all three years, that won the Owners' Championship. So now it was, it finally went to to them. Um, so congratulations to Duke and Rhonda on that one. Uh, on to the Xfinity Series, and, uh, you know, I alluded to it earlier. Um, Daniel Hemrick is a race winner and a champion now, but it was Austin Sendrick for a lot of that race. And AJ Allmendinger was nowhere kind of to be found in this race. Colleague, I was really—that's what I was disappointed the most about was that this didn't come down to Austin Cindric and AJ Allmendinger. It didn't come down to the two best guys all year round, or they were at least weren't in the mix. Cindric will argue that Hemrick was, but Hemrick, Hemrick didn't have a win. But Hemrick was one of those guys, and I was going to say literally finished in top. He, he had such. Great, good average finish, relatively good average finish, and string of top fives. Hemrick deserved to be in there just as much as oh, those two guys, despite being winless up until that point. Yeah, I, and I was gonna say that. Yeah, he he deserved to be up there. I did never. I, I kind of feel bad. I didn't pick him to be in the championship four, um, but he did deserve to be there. He, Daniel Hemrick is consistent. He knows how to bring the car home. And again, kind of um, like Ben Rhodes, he knows how to maximize the day and doesn't push it. He could be a 10-race yeah, winner right now in the Xfinity Series if it wasn't for just sheer bad luck. In that, and that stretches all the way back to 2017 with his time at RCR. He could be a 10-race winner right now. He could have been a 4-5-race winner this year if it wasn't for crappy luck. And, you know, to, to, to see him get up there, he saw the championship. When he exited turn two on that final lap, he saw the championship right there. And he went out there and took it. But I think it, here's what I would want to ask him. I did see anyone ask this question, and, and Rob, maybe you did. I want someone to ask him, Daniel, which win, what, what means more, your first career win or the championship? Because when he got out of that car, here's what I saw. It wasn't like, oh my gosh, yes, I'm champion. It was like, finally, I'm a race winner. It, it, you know, that the relief that I don't have to answer that question anymore. When's it going to come? I think today's going to be the day. He doesn't have to answer that anymore. The relief that I'm a race winner. I think the championship means a lot. But watching that, I'm like, I think the win means more to Daniel than the championship. Am I crazy to think that, Rob? No, I don't think you're crazy to think it at all. I think it's absolutely valid because when Hemrick's been going basically his whole year, it, it, it was crazy, was that he said that he was only paid for top five finishes. I guess he was he bet on himself with this Gibbs deal so much that in his contract, he would only be paid if he got a top five finish. He well, said that. I'm looking that up. Wait, I'm looking this up to see how many top five finishes he had. 
Yeah, so you can see how many times he got paid this year. He got paid 15 times this year. Yeah. Which was the fourth highest. Cindric had 22 top fives. Almendinger 18. Allgaier 16. Him 15. Mm -hmm. And, um, okay, so here's the thing. His average finish was 10.8, whereas Cindric's was 8.2. Almondinger's was 9.2. Almondinger's 9.2. Gregson's was 13.4. So, oh. Hemrick technically still had the third best average finish. Nope. Uh, Allgaier had the third best. He had 9.2. Of the championship four. Oh, of the championship four. Okay. Sorry. Okay. I should have said that. Of the championship four. He had. He still did have the best average finish. He had 15 top fives to Sendrick's 22, to Gregson's 13, to Almondinger's 18. So, again, still the third best driver. Um, I'm looking again. at some, some of these races where he let's crash at Charlotte. Charlotte was a top five car, but all the way back in May, that was a top five run for him. Uh, Michigan top five car running there crashed out. Those were his only two DNFs of the year, actually. So according to this, non-playoff point standings after the race without the playoffs, Hamrick would have finished fourth behind Allgaier, Almondinger, and Sindrick. Sindrick being the champion. Even then, Hemrick still would have been two point. He was he, without the, the playoffs. He's still two points behind Allgaier, behind for third. It's not bad. So he's still up there, regardless. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I think this is the thing that we need to take away from this whole race for Hemrick. Is it when you allude to that? Is this the race win bigger than the championship? I think in this case, yes. Who cares about the championship? We all know who was the best driver all year. We all know, okay, it's Cindric. Cindric should be probably the de facto champion. He is moving up to cup next year. But let's talk about Daniel Hamrick finally getting the monkey off of his back. And actually, he's moving on to college racing next year. He's going to have who knows how much luck there. But now he could finally say, no, I won a race in NASCAR. I went for it. I beat the defending champion at his own game. And I... Got a championship. <laughs> I guess you could just see that if, if I'm Daniel Hamrick, I'm more excited about the win than the championship. The championship doesn't mean anything to me. The win is really what's important because the win is what people were saying I couldn't do for so long. Nobody said Hamrick couldn't win a championship. There's been winless champions in the Xfinity series. It could be done. Who cares? It's Hamrick getting that monkey off of his back and winning a race after so long, after so many shoulda, coulda, woulda, after so many second places, after so many basically screw jobs, after so many what like feels like Casey Kane like finishes, you know, believe me, I know what it's like. I know what it's like to sit there as a fan and watch your guy finish second every year, every week. It, it it hurts, man. It gets old after a while. And then when they finally get that win, you know, Richmond 2005 feels pretty darn good. So I imagine that Phoenix 2021 feels as good for Daniel Hemrick as. Richmond 2005 did for me. Well, and I'll point this out too. Here's why um, I've never thought about this before until probably Thursday this past week. So after we recorded the last week's podcast, I would not have had a problem with Hemrick being a zero win across the board champion for the simple reason that I believe even in the old system, you could win a championship without winning a race in Cup. And here's why. 
Matt Kenseth won one race in 2003. If he finishes second in that race, he's still champion. He's still the champion. Okay, it's not he had it locked it, up. Like go, he had it locked two up races a race. before the end of the season, didn't he? he had it locked up by Rockingham, didn't he? Which was the second to last race, I think, okay. that year. Yeah, because Homestead was the finale. Um, so it went Phoenix, Rockingham, then. I think Homestead. so. Okay. I think so. Well, here I, I got the 2003 schedule right here. Dude, um, let me tell you something. I should yeah, remember this. I should know this. I should know this. Rockingham was the second, the last race. Yeah, it was Phoenix. Rockingham, Rockingham was the last So was he Bill had Elliott's last up. win too. That race wasn't it? Say what? Oh three Rockingham fall. That was Bill Elliott's last race too, right? Last race win. Yes. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Um, almost won. Did he almost win the next week too? He almost won Homestead. He had a flat yeah. tire, and that's when Bobby passed him. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't have had a problem with Daniel. Not let's say fish. Let's say let's say hypothetically, Justin Allgaier goes out there and wins, and Daniel moves Austin Cendrick for second, and he wins the championship. I don't have a problem with that because I believe you can win a championship in an all point in a points only straight up in NASCAR at least without winning a race. If you go out there and you put the the numbers up together. By the way, I know we're jumping ahead to the cup on this one. Forget who tweeted it here. Denny Hamlin completed all but four laps this year. I saw that. I like, saw that. That's yes. wild. Um, so, again, that right there, Denny Hamlin doesn't win a race. Let's say he doesn't win a race. He could still theoretically be champion. If you do that, you, you're that consistent, that strong. You deserve to be the champion. I don't care if you have wins or not. I, I don't care. Wasn't Hamlin's finish, average finish, like six-something? I will look it up for you. But again, yeah, I, I'll wrap this up and say, um, Daniel, I'm add Hamrick, one more thing after you finish it. Okay. Daniel Hamrick, very deserving of it. Um, I, uh, I'm happy for him. You know, you, you, we try to not be, uh, biased in this situation, but you got to feel good for a guy who's, who's been going for it for so long, who, and I felt, and another person I felt good for too, he's married to a former race car driver, his, his wife, Kinsey. And I remember I, there was a piece that was done with Daniel where they said when, when they kind of got married or got to a point in their careers, like well, they had to decide on one. Like someone's going to, someone's got to give up. And it was Daniel that obviously continued. So it's, it, it's, it's good for that entire family, you know, that, that, that for both of them. And, and also, hey, little girl there able to celebrate with her as well. I did want to mention one thing too, Rob, and this might be what you, what you were going to say. What was up with that Jay Buford caution? The dude spun, didn't hit anything, got turned around and going, and then the yellow comes out. Like, what the Was not what I was going to talk about. That's an odd thing. I was going to actually talk about this crazy stat that I'm looking at right now. I'm looking at this thing. Um, Ty Gibbs was the best finishing non-playoff driver in the points. He finished 13th. He had 20 more points than Ryan Sieg. Michael Annette was the third best who had 10 less points than Sieg, so 30 less points than, um, no, excuse me, that's wrong. He had, is that the outright standings too, or is that this the, is the playoff? playoff standings? This is with playoff standings. This is with okay, playoff. Well, so this is like, but these are the best playoff, non-playoff drivers. Well, what, Gibbs what beat everybody else without even running a full season. Where would he Ryan Sieg oh. was the only driver who ran a full season. So Ty Gibbs finished 13th, then it was Ryan Sieg in 14th, then Michael Annette in 15th. Michael Annette and Ty Gibbs did not run full seasons. Meanwhile, they both finished 13th and 15th in the standings. 
That well, is Michael crazy. Nett, Michael Nett had a pretty decent points cushion before he started missing races. That is true. And, and he should have had another probably... How many races did he miss this year? I forget how many. But he should probably have at least had another 150, 200 points maybe. A total point. Yeah, Ty Gibbs is on fire. Um, this dude was born a day before my seventh birthday. Make you feel you know old. that? He was born on October 4th, 2002. My seventh birthday was October 5th, 2002. You make you feel old. It makes me feel very old, and it makes me feel very jealous because Ty Gibbs is a way better race car driver than I'll probably ever be. <laughs> and he's seven years younger than me. That's a statement there, man. That's that's bold. Um, yeah, you know, uh, you know... Why? Why? Do you think I'm a better driver than I'm, I'm giving myself credit for? Nobody in that situation. I don't know. I've never seen you race, so I can't answer that question. I've never actually seen you race. I've seen, I know you do a lot of sim racing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Here. Here we go, Rob. I'm going. I'm going to go. I'm going to go bolt here. Okay. Ty Gibbs. Rob Peters is challenging you to a sim race. Let's get it on. Let's do this thing. Love that. Fly him down here to Huntersville, North Carolina. Put him in a sim rig there at Joe Gibbs Racing. Let's go for it. All right. You know, Ty Gibbs had an average finish of ten of tenth. He with one DNA. That. I believe that. So the driver standings here are nope. That's not the wrong one. I wanted. I want the cup. Um, I got the cup stands up here. So Rob, was there anything else we want to talk about the Xfinity series before we Xfinity go on? Xfinity series, to... other than the fact that it put on the best show. I mean, I my favorite thing was I, I was watching the last lap unfold, and I'm I'm I, I stopped to I stopped working for a little bit to watch the final couple of laps, and I turn around and watch it i get out of my seat and on that last lap i just start jumping up and screaming like he finally did it he finally did it and i was like man that has to be like the sixth or fifth or sixth time that's happened during xfinity races i mean i remember doing the same thing at bristol <laughs> it's not saying different things but being just as excited as yeah. i was i just want to say thank you to the xfinity series for easily having one of the best seasons of racing yes period all year i'm excited for next year i can't wait for what next year the xfinity series has to offer it's going to be a lot of i mean we're losing austin Cindric, but we're gaining ty gibbs sam mayer sheldon creed i think austin hill is going to be doing sheldon movie. creed with p10 in a bj mcleod crap mobile i wonder if that was an rcr prepped car then oh it probably was fun Had fact it. about that too is i kept getting spam emails in my work email from Global Industrial telling me to watch the race this weekend, even though I was already going to, because they were sponsoring Sheldon Creed. Yeah. You know that? This, I did. this spam, I get spam emails from Global Industrial all the time. Don't know right. what this company is. Always pops up in my work, my Indie Star email. And it was like, hey, we're going to be on Sheldon Creed's number 78 Chevrolet. And I'm like, wow, you guys want to go finish 30th or something? Oh, no, he finishes 10th. Wow, they actually got a decent bang out of their buck with this. He qualified 10th, too. Yes, he did. And he he ran, like, I think his average running position was, like, 14th. But he ran in the top 10 a lot in that race, too. So He did did very good. He did very well. Very well, yeah. It's going to be fun to watch him in the two-car next year. Um, All right. Cup Series. (laughs) <laughs> let's just kind of go over the what what this was the last four of uh I, let me know rob if i missed anything it was the last for five lug nuts 
Uh, you saw a lot of people posting, uh, or a lot of teams posting, like the guys practicing the pit stop deal. I'm like, oh my gosh, gonna miss that. Um, last it's, car, we, we still have the Xfinity and we have still the Xfinity. Series. Every I have to tell myself that. Yeah, we still have the Xfinity series, and I and every time I tell myself that, I remember, oh yeah, that's right. Good racing still exists in NASCAR. You just have to find it on Saturday. Yeah, last race for the Gen Six car. We've already been over that. Chip Ganassi Racing. We said goodbye to them. Um, you know, just a refresher in case you forgot. Sold to Trackhouse, uh, Lock, Stock, and Barrel on that one. Is it the last race for Starcom? We alluded to that earlier. Robert, I kind of hope not, but it's possible that this is the last race for them. Uh, last race for Brad at Penske. He moves on to to Roush Fenway. Or we don't know if that team's going to be renamed or not, uh, but. He's on the he's on to that team. Great tribute video, by the way. I really liked what he what he did there his first time. Um anything other am I missing anything, Rob? Last for something? Last I, race I, for aesthetically pleasing paint schemes. I guess it is the last race for the number placement. You were all right. I forgot about that. Um Yeah, I, I know we, we 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 won't we won't hammer on that too much or we're gonna get we're gonna go on forever about that one i just say i just say what i think and i'm not going to elaborate any further so i just all i know is that the fan council that nascar has is is not real it is not real yeah it can't be it can't be because there's no way that the fan council the real fan council if there was a real fan council Everybody would be upset about the number placement, and everybody would be complaining about it, and everybody would be whining about it, and everybody would want it to go back to the normal, and there'd only be a small minority of people who are totally okay with the change, and those people that are totally okay with the change are exactly what NASCAR wants to hear from. They want people who are more willing to embrace changing changes rather than people who are more likely to push back. I think Josh, you I, I, fall I, into that. I'll embrace change, uh, whereas I'll push back. Yeah, I, 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 I which I is what I think I, makes this show so great is that yeah. you you embrace the changes that I can't, I, I physically cannot embrace. I see the reason why it's not change just to make change. They didn't wake up one day like, hey, let's just change the number placement. There's a reason behind it, and it's a legitimate reason, and I can support it. Um, I mean, it is it is certainly a departure from what has been, at least been going on since the 70s. I'm sure there's a paint scheme or two or car or two in the 60s and 50s that had a oh, number. I'll say straight up, I watched the Arca West race. Every time I see that car with the stupid number on the quarter panel, I want, I want it to go no. on the wall. That 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 that's wrong. I will not get behind that one. I cannot get behind the number being on the quarter panel at all. That 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 one I will agree with you with. No, that one's horrible. I didn't like but, Harrison Burton for no, the first few years because no. he ran a car like that. Yeah, that's a horrible. It's a horrible idea to do that. But I mean, there's a, probably a car too that had the number placement back in the day, not on the door, and but it's been the norm since I will at least say the '70s for the number to be at the center of of the doors of the car. And it is certainly going to take some time to get used to. Um, I mean, it is a radical change—a new car, a new car. It might take me till this point next year for me to. And and Rob, I will not be surprised. I'm actually going to start a prop bet right here that I'm going to 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 bet myself ten dollars that it will take you a full year to get used to that. No offense. 
I will split the winnings with you. If, if I they do. don't come to their senses and move it back by June, they yeah, won't it'll probably they, take me a full year. They won't do that. I just Rob, they're not going to change that. I can tell you I that. I can dream. Right you can dream. You can even hey, Rob, here's a great thing too. You can make custom paint schemes with the number in the right spot. So you can you can do that. You can do that. I think I'm um, gonna do that. And our yeah, 2003 I, community, if you're listening, um, I'm going to make correct paint schemes of everything. Uh, the numbers are going to be in their correct place, and that's that. Because I hear there's a new next-gen mod being made. So when that comes out, I'll just start painting a bunch of cup cars with the yeah. number in the right place on the side of the door where it belongs. And even the paint schemes my- will look good. I haven't even checked on tradingpaints.com if like their next gen cars are still. Oh, I don't care for that. Every time I look at trading paints and I start seeing a bunch of people with the next gen car, the numbers move forward. I'm just like, no, I don't want any of this. Take me yeah, back. I Take me back. I want to go back. I want to go back. It's 2006. It's 2006. It's 2006. Fetal position. It's 2006. <laughs> oh my gosh. What an image. What an image it is. So this race here, though, uh, kind of dominated by Hendrick at the beginning. You kind of had, had had the Chase and Larson show going on, even though Larson was kind of struggling. Um, yeah, there was a moment there where I was legit worried. I was like, dude, if Larson loses this race, I'm never going to... I'm just glad Larson won the race. <laughs> Let's just say that. I'm just glad Larson won the race. If anybody but him or Hamlin won that championship, I was going to be mad. I was going to be very, very mad. I was not going to be happy. I was going to be very, very mad. And as soon as Larson took the white flag, I felt like, oh, thank God. Everything's right with the world. All right. I, I avoided a major farce. I don't think that's fair. I, for, for Truex, he he certainly got off to a great great start this year. He he cracked off a win at Phoenix, Martinsville, and Darlington um, early in the year, and he kind of looked like the guy to beat early because he was the one of the finish races, and Larson wasn't doing it at that point. But then he got cold. He went cold in the summer, and then when the, the playoffs started, he got hot again. But I'm going to say this about the, the Chase people who, who didn't like Chase this year. Yeah, he only won two races. But let's just count the races since the summer break that he could have won. Uh, Michigan, Daytona, Bristol, Las Vegas, Roval, Kansas, Martinsville. Those were all races that he had a solid, solid opportunity to win. Before that, he had opportunities to win at other races earlier this year. He he got off to a slow start this year as well um, and struggled. But later in the season, he was running very well. Yeah, he only got two wins, but I kind of go back and I point at Hemrick and say the guy was consistent, had trouble closing for whatever reason, had a couple wrecks in there, got spun, got wrecked. Um, but I feel like if Chase would have won, things would have been all right. The guy who he would have labonied Larson. He would have Labonnie Larson on this one because Jeff Gordon had a dominant 96 season, loses the points, the championship by like 10 points to his teammate. He won two races, but was really consistent. And 
I don't think it would have been a farce if Chase would have won. And I don't think, and I honestly don't think it would have been a farce if, if Truex would have won either. It, he certainly, he let, when you look at, actually look at this, those four guys who were in the championship four led the most laps this year. Those were the four leading lap leaders this year. I will, I see your point, and I'm not disagreeing at all about Chase Elliott. Actually, Elliott was so, and I'm looking at the, the racing reference, the non-playoff point standings. And this is where I'm justifying. Well, this is where I'm kind of going off this. I'm looking, comparing side by side, playoff standings, not playoff standings. Right. I'm looking, looking at, at this. Yeah. Chase Elliott has a full race ahead of Ryan Blaney. Yeah. And he's still 245, four, 245 points behind Danny Hamlin, who's only 36 points behind Larson. Not yeah. impossible for Hamlin to win the championship. Hamlin could have and should have probably won the championship. Elliot, I also will say Elliot would not have been a bad champion either. If Elliot won back to back, I wouldn't have said it was a farce. I wouldn't have said it, it's really where Truex almost won. There was a point there where Truex was getting really good. Yeah. And if Truex won this race, that's where I had a problem. Because if you look at his he's without eight. the points, he's eight. he's eight. He's not even in contention. He's not even anywhere near. He's eliminated from this 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 championship by like, you know. By the fifth race, five races to go. You know what I mean? He's, yeah. or if not more than that, he is completely gone. Whereas Elliot, Larson, and Hamlin are all three consistently there. You know, Elliot, I mean, he could have made up points on Hamlin if he had known, you know, if this wasn't the chase. Thing. Yeah. He could have probably ended up making up more points on Hamlin. But I look at that and I say, okay, well, you have the three best drivers of the season all year in Larson, Hamlin, and Elliot. They're racing for a championship without the playoffs and with the play with the playoffs. Okay, that's probably good. That means the playoff points are doing their job. That's why. I, that's another reason why I like the playoffs because playoff points, those do their job because they carry over into the next rounds, and that's what really keeps the, that consistency going. Because you win if you're if you're consistent enough to win those play those stages and run up front. That's what's going to be the difference in the end. Is you're going to cash in on those bonus points. You're going to cash in on those playoff points at the end of the regular season. You kind of cash in on those extra points during the playoffs, and that's what's really going to help. So you end up getting the three most consistent drivers, and then a fourth wild card usually as those guys. So I again, when I say it would have been a farce, fending, I'm not. I I shouldn't have. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have said that as as confidently as I did. Elliot winning would not have bothered me. It's Truex winning that really would have bugged me because Truex really should have not been anywhere near this title hunt. I mean, in 2017, absolutely. He was by far and the best, the best sure. driver. 2018, yeah. yeah, I'd even give him 2018, but not this year. I'm not going to give him this year uh, because he just wasn't as good as Elliot, Larson, or Hamlin, the three guys who were the most consistent drivers of the whole whole year by far hands down i mean you could probably throw ryan blaney in there but blaney kind of had blaney had his playoffs go wrong and that's what kind of ended him yeah which again you have to stay that's the thing when you make that that argument well you know if you're consistent through the playoffs then you're fine if you get go cold through the playoffs then that's what really kills you yeah. So I it, to to that regard, I kind of say, okay, well, you know, I can't really be all upset about that. But at the very least, we know the three most consistent drivers all year had a chance to win, run for the the championship. That's what I take out of this. Larson winning, that's the best part about it is the fact that we get the guy who would have won this race 
playoff standings or no playoff standings. And I think we've seen that the last couple of years. We've been pretty lucky. I think 2018 it would have been that way. Uh, 2019, I don't think it would have been that way. But I think last year it would have. Last year would have been or come close to have been. I can't remember off the top of my head. But I know we're kind of getting hit or misses here where we're kind of claiming the same championship. And I really do feel like a lot of that is because of the playoff points and the, and the stage points that we award is that rewards the consistency that people want want to see, that I want to see. And I see that going forth. And even though this isn't my favorite playoff system, this isn't my favorite point system, I've made that very clear. That's, again, the thing that I'm thankful for that gave us this situation where the, the right three guys were racing for the championship. Thank God Larson won it and Truex didn't. Not, you know, I don't want to make it seem like I'm hating on Truex, but, dude, you were clear, without the playoffs. You were, the, you were eighth in the championship. You should have had, you should have been nowhere near this race. This should have been between Larson, Elliott, and Hamlin. This should not, Truex shouldn't have even been in that conversation. That's all I that's all I really have to say about that. That's where my point stands. And I understand and I get it that you know he he got hot at the right time and ran well at the right time. You know, it's I understand where you're coming from and I'm not going to disagree with you. I'm not going to not going to sit here and argue with you about that because you're right. But I think at the same point you race the system you're in. And, and that's what every the, driver is going to say is you race yeah. the system that you're in. You Austin Cedric, I getting back to the Xfinity series. Austin Cedric said something about that. Like yeah. he alluded to it. Like he said something like with this format, that's what you have to do or something like that. Cause yeah. obviously, I mean, we didn't talk about it, but he did that. He, he, he handled himself really well in that. He handled um, himself very well. Like, you know, he, whatever the hell Dave Burns was trying to do. I, I don't understand. I think but, Dave Burns was just asking him because, they're really, I can't think of a situation, even in recent playoffs, where a guy has been moved in the last lap, in the last corner to win the championship. We've seen it happen to advance, and it also happened to Austin twice this year. If if in the last lap of Bristol, though he kind of was the one giving it in a way. Yeah, I mean, um, Karma kind of came back and got him on. on but Bristol. I mean, it, it, he got bumped twice on the last restart there. So I mean, he, I think that's kind of what he was talking about. But he handled himself very, very well. I mean, he gets he the he gets a you handled that interview like a pro award this year, hands down. And I've and I kind of like what he said. Yeah. How how much Cindric's maturity and. Yeah. Not just as a person, but as a driver, has really impressed me over the past three years. Yeah. Um, getting to talk to him this year was was basically a treat for me personally. Getting to sit down and interview him. that dude's one of the nicest guys in the world. I'm really excited to see him take over the two next year. But anyway, no, talk, specifically talking about the, the the championship. Yeah, you you race the champion. You race the format you're given. Us fans are going to complain about it, but Tony Stewart said it a long time. You know, it was like we race the format, and then Cindric said it. Saturday night, you know, you race the format you're given. I mean, Truex did exactly that. He raced based on the format that he's given. But that's that doesn't change how I feel, that had he won the championship, it would have felt hollow. It wouldn't have felt like he was a full champion. He would have just felt like he's the guy who won Phoenix that year. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know Whereas Larson winning the championship, or even Hamlin for that matter, even Elliott, you would have been like, eh. Okay, yeah, they had really good seasons. They deserved it. But with Truex, it was just kind of like, it would have just felt like, okay, this guy won 
Phoenix. Good for him. But wait, oh, he's champion now? But show me where he did what Larson and Hamlin did. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, it, it's it's stuff like that. It's stuff like that that bugs me. But yeah, you, the drivers are right. You're right. You race the, the, the format you're in. The only time you moan and complain about it is on podcasts like this. Yeah. <laughs> I did. Let's uh, kind of move on to Larson here. Um, it is. We talked about this a little bit before. I love how we said we're going to start it next time, and we still didn't do that. We we always dabble in the conversations. Like I really need to get going, <laughs> and uh, we 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 never we never get going on time. One of the things we talked about was sort of this redemption story that Larson kind of went on here. We kind of we we agreed and disagreed on certain things on how it was handled during the race. I wanted to point out that. On Saturday, before the start of the race, you know, Rick Allen, one thing I, I appreciate this year is that A.J. what it is on its simple route, it was a drug suspension. It was a substance abuse suspension. But what he did was he took a pill that was subscribed to a friend, wasn't his, and he got a random drug test and was caught doing it. Didn't do anything else. He owned it. He 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 owned it. So like, I made a mistake. This isn't a mistake that anyone should make. But I get. But I'm telling you, there's people around the country that do that every day. That take a pill that it wasn't subscribed to them. Could be a loved one. Could be a friend. And he he made a what I would argue is a common mistake. And he redeemed himself the very next year with the very same team. He was released from Penske in twelve. Comes back and wins two races the next year in the Xfinity Series for Penske. And runs in, the Indy 500. Finishes right. top ten there. Yeah, and he wins a race in 2014 with JGT Dordery at Watkins Glen. And now he's had a career year, maybe the best year of his racing career ever, and it has been a non-starter talking about this. It has not been eluded at all. And before the start of the damn championship race, Rick Allen says, drug suspension. Like, I don't even remember that being brought up one time. There's probably like NASCAR fans that are watching that race that weren't even NASCAR fans when that happened and probably like, wait, what? What? What are yeah, you talking I, about? And that's all, he, and he left it there. He didn't He didn't dabble into it. So you make it sound like the guy was snorting cocaine when he wasn't. So yeah, that This isn't up. Shane Meal, guys. This is not Shane Meal's situation. It bugged the heck out of me. It, it ruined the first stage for me, to be honest, because that, that really got underneath my skin, and I didn't agree with that. What I will say and appreciate and Rob, I will say my piece, and you can say your piece on it. Is that it? I, 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 uh, I felt the questions, at least from the TV side, to Kyle Larson over his year and a half journey here. Because let's review. He said a derogatory term in April 2020, and is fired from Chip Ganassi Racing and doesn't race. He's suspended from NASCAR for the remainder of the 2020 season. He completes everything he needs to complete from NASCAR. He's signed by Rick Hendrick before the end of the 2020 season to replace Jimmy Johnson. And he comes out in the year back, first year back in the in the, in the Cup Series, brand new team, and he wins nine races and a tenth race to win the championship. To me, that is a ultimate redemption story that you were at the lowest of low and Rob you shared that he 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 talked in an article that his parents did talk to him 
his parents kind of left him there, and and maybe the only people that stood beside him w- was his wife, in 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 his immediate immediate family. So lowest of lows to now you're the high, you're a champion, something that you've been fighting for, you've had the success you have not had in this series before. He walked into this season with six career wins from 2014 to 2019, essentially full time in four races in 2020. And that goes to cracks off of 10 and 36. He won more than 25% of the races. He had a heck of a year. So I like that they, they, didn't, they didn't really dive into why he was suspended, but they alluded to the year-and-a-half journey. Thought they handled it very well compared to the Saturday start. That's my little soapbox there. But it is a part of the story that, that I, I, I think needed to be addressed, and I think NBC handled it well. Rob, I know you wanted to maybe talk about how maybe it wasn't handled well later. Oh, Hear your thoughts. Not, not necessarily. I think when we talked this over, I think I kind of changed my perspective on it okay. a little bit. I'm not, I'm not necessarily upset. I apologize about then. I apologize. Look, then. I was just speaking for myself. As a, myself, holding myself to a standard as a journalist, I'm not going to ask him any questions that even allude to it because the last thing that I want him to do is to look at me and and basically have to answer a question that's uncomfortable. I don't want to be the guy who makes him feel uncomfortable or the guy who makes him feel sheepish. If I want well, to talk the record, about I'm not I'm, I'm I'm probably going to be with you in that corner as well. Uh, on, yeah, on if, that, if, on if that I want to talk to Kyle Larson about his suspension and about the whole situation, then I'm going to ask his PR person ahead of time so that they're aware and so then he's aware and schedule a one-on-one. That's just a professional thing to do. That's just how I'm going to approach it. I'm not going to approach it by getting him in a press conference or getting him right after the race and asking him any kind of question that even alludes to the suspension, like a question of, does this feel like redemption towards you? Or, you know, what does this feel like after last year not knowing what was going to happen? You know what I mean? It, it's I just don't feel like it's a time and place. If you want to ask him those types of questions, I think that's fine if you can get him one-on-one so that he knows that those questions are coming. I don't think it's fair to kind of, I just don't think it's fair to kind of interrupt his joy by having him remember that he made a huge mistake that impacted his life and his family and his friends and his career and his livelihood and his, his perception, his reputation, all of that. I just don't think that's fair, but that's just me. That's how yeah. I would approach it. I'm sure other people are more different being like, no, this is a good story. This is, you know, this is something that people want to hear. This is a public good. And that's fine. If that's your prerogative, that's all good and fine. But me personally, as a jur- as the journalist, if I'm asking the question, I'm steering clear of that kind of stuff. Let me ask you this. Um, I just thought about this. Difficult question, but I'm going to ask you to put yourself in Kyle Larson's shoes. You've gone through this year-and-a-half journey, and you just won a championship. Does that go through your mind, do you think, that, wow, 18 months ago, I said something I should have, or I did something I shouldn't have, and now I'm a champion? Do, do you think that goes through your mind? Because I feel like, for me, it would go through my mind, so it would, it would still be there in the forefront, even though I just won the championship. And that's I think that point. that's a... And I think I've never seen Kyle Larson cry. I've never seen Kyle Larson express emotion. I've I've, I've seen him super frustrated, like the when he couldn't beat Kyle Busch in the Xfinity series. 
I saw frustration, but I've never seen him mad at all. I've never seen him mad. And I think that in-car camera pointing down at him and he's got these tears in his eyes is the most emotion he's seen. And I feel like part of that was him realizing what he's done. This is kind of the completion of that journey. And I, and I interrupted your answer there and I'm sorry. Oh, you're fine. I, I was just saying that I think you're, I mean, I think that's a good point. You know, I didn't really necessarily think about it in that sense. I, I think about it because when I make a horrible mistake, maybe obviously not to the degree that Kyle Larson has, but when I make – when you, you, say, you say put him in, in, in Kyle Larson's shoes, this is exactly what I'm doing. I'm putting myself in his shoes. I'm taking a look. I'm, I'm taking a look at the things from his perspective. Like if I was in this situation, how would I react? And that's a lot of the ways how I conduct myself. I try to put myself in other people's shoes just because I feel like it's the right thing to do. You know, you should always walk a mile in somebody else's shoes before you judge them. And I feel like if I'm in Kyle Larson's shoes, you know, I just don't. I try and forget about my mistakes as soon as I can. I try to learn from them. You know, I want to learn from them. I want to learn everything I can. But once I've learned from them and and when I'm ma- I know in my heart I'm making an active. A, a, an active push to better myself and, 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 and do better. I feel like when other people bring it up, it kind of, it kind of hampers that because it, it, it puts me back into, you know, instead of this, okay, I, I, I made a mistake. I did wrong, but I need to push through and I need to be better. The past is in the past, the past, you know, it kind of takes me out of that kind of feeling that I sometimes that it, it just takes me out of that it, it it could kind of just I don't know how to describe it. It just kind of brings me down. You know, when, when people I, I, bring I, up yeah. mistakes I've made in my past and ask me, well, what have you learned about it? You know, even if they're not meaning anything if they're not meaning anything nefarious by asking it, it still kind of bugs me a little bit because it's like I don't want to think about that. Okay. You know, I don't want to talk about that right now. Okay. You know, talk to me about that in private. You know, don't talk to me about that where I'm here. And maybe Kyle is different. You know, I wanted to mainly defend him in the fact that people were upset that he wasn't more open or posting about the things that he's done, I guess, to quote unquote, earn him redemption or make him deserve it of redemption or whatever. I have more respect for him not posting. Yeah, exactly. That. You know, Larson, Larson's in a lose-lose situation. You know, oh, yeah. damned if he does, damned if he doesn't. If he shows off what he's doing, then everybody thinks he's just doing it for internet clout. If he doesn't show off what he's doing, people doubt that he's doing anything at all. And, and that's just frustrating. All we can go off of is the fact that there's eyewitness accounts and that there's people out there that know for a fact that Kyle Larson has taken the steps that he's taken. You know, we have we've seen people that he's worked with that are trustworthy that can tell us, okay, yes, Kyle Larson has done this, this, and this, and this, and it has done everything. He's done everything that's asked of him. He's been very open. He's been a sponge. He re- he's been regretful, remorseful, and he's been willing to act on it and change. And, and that's why he is. We talk about this redemption story. That's why he is deserving of this redemption story. Because yeah. if he didn't do any of that and he still won the championship, I think there would be valid criticism there. But the fact that Larson there's people know and people are aware that Larson has been doing work gone above and beyond and then some you know I don't know the best way to say 
he's gone even further than that, but he has gone even further than that in terms of overall effort. I feel like most NASCAR fans who are familiar with Kyle Larson's journey forgive him. And, you know, obviously it's, it's, it's easy for me to forgive him because I'm a straight white male. You know, it's probably easy for you to forgive him because you're the same. I don't necessarily, I can't speak from a minority's perspective, but from the ones that I've talked to, they seem to very much feel the same way. Like, okay, he's served his kind of time. You know, we're still uncomfortable with it. We're still kind of a bit frustrated with it. You know, I'm speaking from their perspective. I'm not speaking for myself right now, but this is what the, the gist that I've gotten from some of my minority friends that are in minority racing friends, I guess, because I'm a friends with a lot of people and racing groups and whatnot. And I talk to a lot of people in racing groups and they're from all different backgrounds. And, you know, it's an interesting question to ask them, you know, we, how do you feel about this? You know, this is something, how do you feel about that? And and usually their reaction has been, well, you know, we're frustrated, we're disappointed, but seeing all of the things that he's done or it has been said that he's done, I don't think that you can't say that he hasn't earned an opportunity to do this. And I think he earned the opportunity and he made the most of it with this Hendrick job. And it's just amazing that this didn't happen sooner. I, it's basically the only way to say it. It's amazing that this, this kind of thing did not happen sooner. Imagine how many more championships, how many more wins Kyle Larson could have right now had he started his career with Rick Hendrick a little, a couple of years sooner. You know, you think real quick, you think if he was a rookie in 14 with Hendrick, he would be having the success. No, I don't because think, it took him a while to win an Xfinity first. I think I think he probably wouldn't be achieving this level of success. I think it'd be like another not immediately. It, I it think would have be, built up to this. I think it would have been like a 1920-21. I think it'd been yeah. been this still time. Um, but Rob still, he would have probably had double, maybe triple the amount of wins that he has. That's true. He might have more wins, maybe not the championship. Not not the, This could be his first championship regardless, but if he had not been with Ganassi for as long as he did, he probably definitely would have had more. And that was the thing. Larson like has no sponsorship, and he's never had any sponsorship. Yeah. You know, the whole the whole thing about Ganassi bringing him was because Ganassi funded the – Target funded the ride. Yeah, and then when Target left, Credit One and Clover funded the ride, and McDonald's funded the ride. DC Solar, don't forget about DC, DC Solar. Solar. Oh yeah, DC Solar funded the or quote unquote funded the ride. Quote unquote, yeah. Now they want you know, their money. But like it's not like Larson's ever brought money with him. I mean, he's he's yeah, here a hundred percent on talent. Yeah, like you cannot sit here and say that Larson is a pay driver. There is absolute that is be the most false statement you could ever say is that Larson is a Pedro. This dude brings no money is and is only here exclusively on talent. This dude lost every single one of his sponsors and still came back. He have one sponsor, I think that said by him. And, it was and that was only team. on his dirt team. I actually I think there I think there he has a sponsor from someone on the Hendrick car. It's very minor. It might yeah. Not, a very minor not, nothing that could Seal yeah. him a full time. No, 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 no nothing that's gonna like great. You bought a set of tires, man. What's going on? I think it's a little bit more than that, but still, uh, Rob. Let's uh, great congratulations to Kyle on that one. Um, a great story. Um, yeah, let's move on know, as soon as we can. Yeah, let's here in the, the weekend wrap up here, Rob. So walk us through that, and we'll, then we'll hit the outstanding performance. Crazy stuff here in the Arkham Menard Series West race. Ty Gibbs walked away with the race, but the championship was the crazy part because yeah. it ended in basically a tie. However, it didn't end in a tie. Well, here's the, here's the crazy thing. So Jesse Love basically has got this got this lead, right? And uh, he's got the lead. And I can't remember who was the other driver. Do you know who the other driver was? Because I can't, I can't remember. 
No, the teammate was Trevor Huddleston. That's it. Trevor Huddleston was the driver was, that was the teammate of the other guy. Teammate of oh yeah, yeah it was. Shoot, this is, sounds terrible. People who actually watch, I actually watched this race. That's what bothers me. Is I actually sat down. I instead of watching college football, I actually sat down and watched this race. I watched no college football. I watched no wrestling all weekend because it was a little NASCAR finale and there was practice of qualifying. Jake on Drew. The- was it Jake? Wasn't it Jake Drew? Jake Drew. That's who it was. Jake Drew. Thank you. Yeah. So Jake Drew, he's basically got got title. He he should have the title locked up. And then, uh, on the last lap, his teammate. Uh, just kind of gives up, I guess, and lets Jesse Love pass. And had he just held position, his teammate Jake Drew would have been the champion. Yeah, but because he let the sixteen car pass him, mm-hmm. Jesse Love won the championship. Mm-hmm. So, long story short, here is. It's got to be an interesting. Te- it probably had a t- bit, bit of an interesting team meeting today. Do you think? Um, I think it was an interesting team meeting after the the race. I don't think it just. I don't think he had to wait till today to find out. I that didn't was- know who won the championship at first. I didn't know who they were. It seemed like the broadcast was just as confused as everybody else. I think the broadcast was being done from a trailer, a thousand broadcast. miles away, and that probably contributed to it. They didn't even have a starting grid graphics which really bugged me because when the race started i didn't know who was in what car oh, good job. this is the thing you know what i criticize fox a lot for their poor poor bad cover i mean the coverage of the truck finale was terrible i mean straight up terrible vince welch seemed bored out of his mind he seemed like he didn't want to be there i'll be straight but the one thing that fox does right is their starting grid sequence NBC just kind of treats it as an afterthought and gets it over with as fast as possible, whereas Fox actually runs through every single car and driver, or truck and driver one by one and usually talks about the top 10 or 15. And I appreciate that because NBC would never, and they don't anymore. They used to, now they don't. They just stick it up in the top left-hand corner and let your eyes go through and see and don't talk about each driver and... This is the stuff, this is the kind of stuff that bugs me is, you know, you talk about sponsors and teams getting return on investments and stuff. Well, you know what? How about we start going and talking about each and every driver in the show so that at the very least their teams and sponsors can get the shout out that they deserve because we know you're going to ignore everybody from 15th on back when you actually go and broadcast the whole race. So the least you could do is uh, maybe give a shout out to the sponsors and team and cars that are keeping this freaking series afloat anyway i don't care we should move on um and then we had uh supercars had their second out of four sydney motorsports park rounds that was fun race one was won by shane van gisbergen who extends his championship lead substantially race two was won by anton de pasquale who has de pasquale has been having one Heck of a resurgence since they've been. I mean, if it wasn't for some bad, I'm worried about next year. Next year, he's gonna if if he much better start to their season than they had this past season. (laughs) 
SVG better be the same goes for Cam Waters. Waters didn't have that good of a season, good of a, a, a weekend this week, but I think Waters is going to be. I mean, he re-signed with Tickford, and that's a very good thing. So we'll see what happens. But anyway, in the final race, which was a rain-shortened race, Jamie Wincup won. It could be, could be. Hopefully, it's not his final Supercars victory. We're getting near. You know, we only have what is this now? Six, seven more races. We've got three next week, three this weekend, three next weekend, and then Bathurst. So we've really only got several more races in Jamie Wincup Supercars Championship. It's Jamie Wincup's uh, career. Could that be his last win? Is I, I don't know. He might be running some Enduros next year. I assume Triple uh, Eight Racing would keep him on for some of the Enduros next year. But that could very well be his last race as a solo driver, which would be very disappointing that it would come under rain-shortened conditions in a night race, no less. Junior's last win's in a rain-shortened race. Okay, well, that's true. But, well, okay, Junior, Jamie Wincup. Wincup has, like, triple the championships that Junior has, if I'm being honest. <laughs> It'd probably, okay. probably be more akin to, like, um, if Jeff Gordon's last win was rain delay instead of the way, the way it was. Okay. You know what I mean? Okay. I, I don't know. That's, that's right. how, the, how to describe it, I guess. Let's move on to the outstanding performance, Josh. I'm going with Daniel Hemrick, um, and I kind of give it for a two-week span. Um, the reason he won the championship could be because he played it safe at Martinsville, and he sacrificed a win there in order to put himself in position to win a championship and get a win uh, at Phoenix. And he he was in the spot at the right time. He played the restarts. He made the inside line work. Uh, when it really kind of wasn't supposed to. So I, I just give it to him. Good for him. Uh, battling three late race restarts to stay side by side with Austin Sendrick. And the last one was the best one, and he made it, made it count. So Daniel Hemrick gets my outstanding performance this week. Mine goes to Antonio Giovinazzi, but not his team. As I already alluded to when we were discussing Formula One, his team sucks. And they need they they owe him better. He is a far better driver than the results are showing, than his team is showing. And it is really frustrating me that this dude could be up as high as sixth and then ended up finishing outside of the points. My standard performance goes to Giovinazzi for his qualifying and racing performance, but his team does not get this. Only the driver gets this. When his team steps up and stops screwing him over, then they'll get the award too. But for right now, you got a good driver here that's being hampered by terrible strategy. All right. Outstanding performance. Daniel Hamrick and Antonio Giovinazzi this week. Uh, upshift, downshift. We're going to make it quick. We're about to hit the two-hour mark here. We got some interesting questions here, so we'll try to keep it snappy. Uh, upshift. You agree. Downshift, we disagree. Um, we can throw it into the neutral for a variety of reasons. Sometimes we just make them up on the spot, too. We just make it up. Um, or we just don't want to answer the question. That happens sometimes. So, well, hopefully we're going to get an up or down for all these. Uh, first question. Pocono Raceway won't be independently owned for much longer. Do you upshift or downshift, Rob? I hate to upshift, but I have to. I want to downshift, but... I don't really think that the government's going to enact any antitrust laws for NASCAR. So I feel like it's coming. There's going to be, I hope it doesn't. I don't think Pocono will sell, but I feel like if, if the price is right and the economy is 
wrong, I guess, or, or right in this case, it'll probably end up happening. That's, I I don't want it to be the truth, but I I think it's, it's on the horizon. I, I find it hard to disagree with you. I think eventually the day will come where either, I don't see Penske buying it. I don't see Penske buying it, but I think the day will come where NASCAR or Speedway Motorsports approaches Pocono with an offer they can't refuse, and Pocono will will have new ownership and fall under one of these umbrellas. So, um, yeah, I, I think the day's coming here. Uh, this one kind of uh, new for the, the day. Uh, Matt DiBenedetto's apology video on Instagram from Monday morning after Sunday's championship race signifies that he lost a potential sponsor. Rob, do you upshift or downshift? I'm going to upshift this. This is this was this was a tough one for us to talk about because it's it's tough to tread on this because you don't want to get into too much politics when you're talking about this, but it's also a, a I think it's too big of a story to really ignore, you know, because this is basically for those unfamiliar with the situation, Matt Benedetto, the last couple of weeks has been very vocal about wanting to find some kind of business partner, some kind of sponsorship partner that is going to allow him to, quote unquote, freely express his views and beliefs, which, you know, okay, that's that's fine, I guess. That's good and fine, I guess. But the thing I think where it it went too far. Matt Matt Benedetto, I don't think he has a PR person. And I think he could really benefit from a PR person. Because he makes really dumb mistakes sometimes. And I think a lot of it it's because he doesn't have a PR guy. And one of the mistakes he made over the weekend and I guess I'm, I'm yeah, I'm gonna call this a mistake because, you know, I'm not trying to crowd somebody's freedom of speech or whatever, but you have to understand that Matt Benedetto is a race car driver and his entire occupation relies on him impressing sponsors and if the sponsors are not impressed and if you become almost kind of like this pariah for sponsors you know it's not good and he said um he he basically retweeted a video of himself saying the phrase let's go brandon which again if you're unfamiliar with has kind of been hijacked by what, what should i call him anti-joe biden Protest, not protest. Honestly, people it's, against it's, Joe Biden, I guess. Yeah, I, I would just, I would say people who are against the policies of the Biden administration. Yeah, there you go. Uh, and when he said that, it, it was ironic that he said that on the kind of the same day that NASCAR President Steve Phelps came out and said he was upset about it. He didn't like that. And you know, there was an AP article that also came out where you know Brandon Brown does. My, I mean, he any publicity is good publicity, but. Brandon Brown also can't get is having a hard time locking down sponsorship because his name and his entire his entire name his entire likeness is basically now attached to this political movement. Yeah. And that's not fair to him because no. now this is affecting his livelihood and his uh, career and other people's jobs. You know, yeah. that's not good. So then when you see Matt DiBenedetto come out and say that it's kind of like, okay, well, this is not very nice. This is not very smart. You know, it's, it, it's like, I'm not saying he can't have these views. He could, he could go out there and 
you know, he could go out there and, and disagree with everything the president is doing publicly. But I think when he invokes that let's go, Brandon, which is, you know, not like pig Latin, but it's another word for expletive Joe Biden, you know, a a sponsor is not going to be okay with that. A sponsor is not going to be okay with somebody that endorses their product taking a shot at the president regardless of who they are. You know, it doesn't matter if it's it's Trump. It doesn't matter if it's Biden. It doesn't matter if it's Obama. It doesn't matter if it's Bush. It doesn't matter. If if you're you 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 have to maintain a level of professionalism when you're representing a brand and a sponsor. And when you cross that line, you don't do that. They're gonna be pretty pretty upset. They're not gonna be happy with you because then they're gonna say, okay, well, you're not exactly the ambassador for a product that we were thinking you were. Yeah. And when you ask this question, I actually do think that out because if you the, Matt DeBenedetto put out a, a basically a three minute long apology video on Instagram, basically saying he screwed up. Not really, ex- not really. He didn't really elaborate on how he screwed up, but it, it very much seems to me like, and I'm speculating here. I don't have any co- confirmation of this. He was trying to impress these conservative talk show hosts hoping that they would sponsor him. And it looked like he might have even had other sponsors in there. And I feel like when he dropped the Let's Go Brandon, I feel like that's when everything fell apart for him. Because I think that's when everybody said, okay, you crossed the line here. It's all good and fine if you want to express your views and beliefs publicly and say, okay, I believe in limited government. I believe in you know le- less taxes or whatever. You know That's all good and fine. And I believe in individual liberty and all that. You know, that's all good and fine. But when you start invoking what could be considered hate speech toward a sitting president, I think that that's probably not exactly what companies are looking for. And like I said, again, this is not because he said it about Biden. I feel like if it, if if you mentioned this, Josh, if the table was were turned and someone like Bubba Wallace came out and said the same thing about Trump, absolutely, I, I think his sponsors would leave him. I 100% think his sponsors should leave him. They probably should because that's, again, not the kind of ambassador that you want for your 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 product. So I'm I am upshifting this. I think that Matty D specifically made that pon- apology video because I feel like somebody from either Penske, from the Wood Brothers, or from a potential sponsor came to him and basically said, "Hey, dude, you screwed up. We're not sponsoring you anymore. We're done here. You know, you need to be better, and you didn't do it, or you need to be better, and you need to be better now." And it it just seems such like a a strange character. Like two days ago, he's all in on. I want to be open. I want to be able to say my views. I want to be able to say my things. And then now today he's like, oh, I'm so sorry. I crossed the line. I shouldn't have done this. You know, it, it very much seems like something happened behind the scenes that we didn't know. And I, I have to upshift. I think it was sponsor related. Yeah. I can't really elaborate more on that. I'd just be repeating things. But yeah, I do think a, a sponsor or sponsors pulled out. Um. Or some sort of funding, let's put it that way, pulled out as a result of that. And yeah, it, it crosses a line. I, and he probably shouldn't have said it. Uh, if you are a public figure and a NASCAR driver is a public figure, uh, i.e., ath- athlete, celebrity, or, or you know, synonyms to that, you got to watch what you say. Uh, there are very few people who can say whatever they want to say. And get away with it. And Matt Benedetto is not one of those people. No, I mean, no offense to him on that one, but he's not one of those people who who has that power. So uh, I I upshift as well. I think he I think he lost a potential sponsor on that one. Um, next question here, Matt 
Verstappen clinches the 2021 F1 World Championship before the final race at Abu Dhabi. Do you upshift or downshift this, Rob? I downshift it. I think I really do and truthfully believe that this championship is going to go down very much to the wire. Do I think that it's going to be clinched? No. I think math. He might. He okay. Here's how I think. Here's what I think is going to happen. Someone's going to get ahead, probably Verstappen, and it's going to be one of those deals where it's not mathematically impossible for Hamilton to lose the to to win the championship, but it's practically impossible. You know what I mean? Like he's not going to clinch it, but it's going to be like he would have to DNF, and then Hamilton would have to score maximum points in order to win it. Does that make sense? Yeah. That's kind of what I foresee happening more so than he's going to clinch it before Abu Dhabi. I think it's going to come down to Abu Dhabi being like Max has to have a terrible race and Lewis has to have a perfect one. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, gosh, I don't know. Uh, I teeter-tottered on this one a lot. I think he's going to walk into Abu Dhabi with at least a 27-point lead. I really do. I I, I kind of I think yeah, he will. Yeah, so kind of like what I'm saying. Where well, he's but like, the 27 points gets you the, gets you the championship. 26 points is the max points you can score okay. in, well, in a right. race. So I think he's going to walk in with a 27 point lead or a 26 point lead because I think he gets the tiebreaker if he wins a couple more races here. He gets the tiebreaker for wins uh, if they were to tie in points. I think he clinches it. I think he's got it clinched. Um, some form or fashion before before Abu Dhabi. Um, so yeah, I upshift that one. Last question here: the 2022 network schedule for the NASCAR Cup Series featured only 19 of the 36 points races on network television, Fox or NBC. The Clash and All Star are both on FS1. Do you upshift or downshift? Dude, I'm just gonna say I'm gonna straight up upshift this. Do you remember back in like 2014, 2013, when you know it was just as soon as the Fox reign was over, it was just cable exclusively, like TNT, then ESPN, and then you were lucky if we got a race on ABC. This is awesome. I, I People are, like, all upset about this, being like, oh, it's, you know, it's all on cable and all this stuff. It's like, no, this, this is the most NASCAR races on, I believe they said this, this would be the most NASCAR races on over-the-air terrestrial television since 2009, That's which is insane. Which is insane. I mean, that was the last year that uh, I think ESPN ESPN said promised they would have the entire chase on when they came back. They said they wanted to have the whole ten race chase to the cup on network television. They kept that promise from two thousand seven to two thousand nine, where every race was on ABC, every chase race was on ABC, which was rad. They changed that in twenty ten and through twenty eleven, where they kind of mainly just kept everything on ESPN. Don't really know why that why they did that. I feel like they would have had more flexibility on ABC, but. Yeah. That's just me. Um, that is just me. Especially like, yeah, no, seriously. I just feel like they would have had more flexibility right. keeping it on ABC. But anyway, uh, this is great. I upshift this. This is awesome. I love this. Especially, you know, I'm sad that NBCSN is going away. Uh, but I look at what NBC had and has right now. Well, they don't have hockey anymore. And the only real thing that was keeping that channel afloat was the NASCAR and the Tour de France, but that only happens once every year for one month. And I guess that's going to USA now, too, which is going to be very interesting. You guys ready to watch a Tour de France on USA? Because I, I don't know if I am. 
<laughs> I'm sure all those old people who get up really early to watch Law & Order reruns are going to be like, why are all these Europeans cycling on my USA network? You know, something something stupid like that. But no, I actually, I love that. And because, and, and speaking of USA, like I said, it's, it's available in more households than NBCSN. It is. It's on basic cable, whereas I don't think NBCSN is usually on basic cable. I think it's on Bright House basic cable here in Indy because I know my grandparents have it when they had Bright House. But uh, I don't I can't speak for everybody else. I think most other places might have upcharged for it. So USA is on basic cable. FS1's not exactly on basic cable yet, but we're getting there. But basically, stands for the FS1 races. The overall viewership probabilities are are looking very good for NASCAR. So I'm upshifting this. I think this is that's great. More races available for more people to watch. I upshifted in general. There's some points I downshift, like Fox is ending it on FS1. Why would you have your last race of the year on FS1? I don't get that. They start the year off with so many Fox races in a row. I, I say move one of those to Sonoma and why in the hell are they not broadcasting The Clash on Fox? What? Whose decision was that? They You're really pretty- need to keep... See, here's the thing. FS1 is this weird thing. It's not ESPN. It's really quite literally like this knockoff ESPN is FS1. Because yeah. you get, the, you get the, the debate yelling shows, the Skip and Shannons, the whoever's on Speak for Yourself now, and then you got the betting show now with, with for some reason, Clay Travis, for God knows what reason. Um, and then, uh, you know, you've got... So you've got those shows on Fox, but then outside of that, you know, when it's... When college basketball season is not going on, and when college football season is not going on, FS1 is like nothing to broadcast, uh, except NASCAR. But that's not my point I'm trying to make here. You're, this Goose Clash is kind of... It's finally the right made-for-TV clash. No, you're right. And you're putting it on cable. Why wouldn't you want to put it on Fox? The shootout was on on Fox up until uh, 2015, I think. It doesn't make any sense. I don't get this. Like, this is supposed to be one of the highlights of the year. You're kicking off the season. I don't get it. Like, if this is a Daytona... Honestly, if this was a 70-lap race at Daytona, I get it. FS1, good. That's fine. It, it's going to be a boring race except for the last five laps. This is going to be I'm not going to think it's going to be a boring race. I'm going to sit there and watch all 60 laps of this. I know. I, I know, but it's going to. It's not going to. This isn't going to be a processional, you know, so this is going to be This is going to be something better. I, so I, I, I upshift. Yeah, the 19 races, I upshift. Most since 09, I upshift. But there's a few points of the calendar I downshift. I'm just like, eh. We could have done better. We we should be ending the Fox should should end on Fox, not FS1. The clash should be on Fox. Um, Fox wants and, to build FS1. I mean, they're desperate to get FS1 up into some kind of ESPN like challenge position, and it's trying. not that right now. Yeah, and I get, I think that's why they're, the more events that are on FS1, then the more people want the channel. There go ergo they call their carriers, and then carriage goes up, and that's what FS1's trying to do with it. That's exactly what they did. That's why they moved speed. That's why they did the whole speed thing in the first place. It's just it, it, you're right. It it's just it doesn't make sense from a marketing perspective to put it on FS1. At least the clash. 
you know, yeah. the last race of the season being on FS1 doesn't bother me that much. But I, I do agree with you. This clash thing should probably be more available to everybody unless it's due to the fact that it's on the West Coast and it would cut into potentially local news time. Like if you had to start the clash at like nine yeah. o'clock or something or eight o'clock or whatever, you know, I, I could then maybe understand. Thing. But I hate, the, I hate that local news deal. Deal that screws up everything on on that. But yeah, you're yeah, right. Friday Night that. Smackdown has to be done by ten o'clock so that they can get in the new the on Fox so the local news can air. You know, and you know it's the same reason why NBC. You know, I'm amazed that the Daytona race is always on NBC because that goes so late. That will go so late, and it'll cut into that local news time. And those local news people don't really like that because then. They get preempted for some sports, and they can't get out all the information or whatever. Everybody gets their news from Twitter now, so I don't know why that's a big deal. But streaming, <laughs> streaming. <laughs> um, um, yeah, we're not we're not going to get into that whole craziness. We won't. We don't want to get in trouble with Good Lord. Gosh, we're people. all over the place today. Let's go ahead and go into your featured racetrack because you got a big one to talk about, so that we can uh, wrap this up and get everybody home to a decent time. Yeah. Uh so. Racing in Atlanta, Georgia, if you're a stock car or American Open Wheel fan, you probably first think about Atlanta Motor Speedway or if you're old school, Lakewood Speedway, maybe even Gresham Motorsports Park or Lanier Raceway if you're well-versed. But what if you're a sports car fan? I'm guessing you don't think of any of those tracks, and unless you're aware of the races at Atlanta Motor Speedway's road course, uh, you you, you aren't thinking about these tracks. You know, you're probably thinking about Road Atlanta, and that's what track we're going to talk about today. The 12-turn track is the creation of David Sloyer, Earl Walker, and Arthur Montgomery. It's built on 750 acres of land, and construction began in 1969. By 1970, about $1.3 million had been poured into the facility. And, you know, sometimes others' misfortunes are another's big break. That's exactly what happened to Road Atlanta. The Can-Am Championship announced that Road Atlanta would replace the flood-damaged Bridgehampton uh, race, and that, that, that event took place on September 13th of 1970, and it was the first major auto race there. The race was 75 laps on the then 2.52-mile circuit. An estimated 40,000 attended a 27-car field SCCA Can-Am uh, championship race uh, where the race took about an hour and 15 minutes to complete. Tony Dean won in a Porsche 90802. Bob Bondurant finished 18th after only 18 laps due to crash damage in a Lola T160. Uh, the track was successful in the 1970s with Can-Am returning uh, and visits from Formula 5000, the IMSA Camel GT and Trans Am, as well as several other SCCA events including the annual Valvoline runoffs. In a short amount of time in the late 70s, the track's ownership did change uh, several times, and money was short. The track was in need of upgrades from an infrastructure standpoint and safety. A chicane was added on the backstretch, but saw little use as it was unpopular and typically was bypassed. Uh, It was the first major change to the circuit's layout, and that happened about 1988. Under the Whittingham Brothers' ownership, the track entered bankruptcy in 1993 and was sold to a business partnership. This group made gradual improvements to the facility, including track widening, 
uh, building renovations, landscaping of the facility, and track resurfacing. But their investments uh, weren't enough to take the track back to its early 1970s uh, glory days. Uh, then came Dr. Don Penes. Panes uh, got into auto racing when his son Danny started to produce the Panes Roadster. Uh, he purchased Road Atlanta in November 1996. He hired Bob Bondurant to redesign the entire facility. Uh, turn 10 was reconfigured uh, to Turn 10A and 10B, and a new pit lane was constructed in the infield. Rob, you, you look- really you Panes? I've only Panes. I've heard it pronounced panos panos is it panos 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 okay oh, panos. Oh. don panos don panos okay that's panos. how i believe it is pronounced that okay caught my ear for a moment okay I was, I, i'm like wait a minute that i'm going i'm going off of right. the right yeah i'm going off of some sometimes i, I get these things wrong so i appreciate it's, it's yeah i believe it's pronounced don panos 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 okay panos 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 i'll get that right the next time i promise i'll try try there so like i said yeah during this time turn 10 was reconfigured to turn 10a and 10b which is the current configuration and uh, a new pit lane was constructed in the infield instead of the outside of the track which it uh had had been since it's this uh since its origins uh, a shorter club circuits were also built uh, and a new concrete barriers with more runoff areas were also built in a new tunnel for infield access the track signature event was born in 1998 at Petit Le Mans. The race was the original race there was run by Wayne Taylor, Eric Van de Poel, and Emmanuel Collard in a Ferrari 333SP in the GT1 class. In 1999, you got it, Rob. You can say it. You can say it. Panos? Yeah, there you go, Don Panos. I'm gonna let you say it now because you let me say it. That means I gotta follow along. <laughs> Sometimes I just like to listen. I don't have to follow along in the. And I just want to see if you were paying attention. My bad. So Don Panos became the founding member of the American Le Mans series, uh, with the Petit Le Mans arguably being its signature race for 2003. The chicane, uh, the chicane constructed in the late 1980s was removed, and a new chicane was constructed in the S's for the use of motorcycle racing. The track was once again re- resurfaced before 2007, and the walls in the S's uh, area of the track were pushed back for safety and sight lines for fans. In 2008, an auxiliary, an auxiliary turn 12 uh, was built, and this was for slower, specifically for motorcycles, because, you know, the slowdown speeds going into the front stretch there. Uh, the green approved safety there. Uh, this meant the original uh, pit lane entry, so the pit lane outside of the track, had to be relocated and redesigned. Uh, an additional chicane for motorcycles were built in the S's beyond the original one, added in 2003. Uh, this chicane was removed prior to 2017. Pano's Motorsports Group was purchased by NASCAR in 2012, bringing Road Atlanta under the NASCAR ownership banner. In 2014, the American Le Mans series merged with the Grand Am Rolex Sports Car Series, unifying premier sports car racing in North America, uh, North America under the IMSA Sports Car Championship name. Uh, now, the NASCAR Xfinity Series did visit Road Atlanta in 1990, 
1986 and 1987. In 1986, the Food Giant 300 was a 74-lap, a little over 186-mile race. 30 cars started, contested, and it was contested on July 6th that year, and that date marks history. Patty Moise made her first career Xfinity Series start. She qualified third, but suffered an engine failure on lap one, relegating her to a last-place finish. Some of this might sound a little bit familiar from earlier this year. Uh, I was Rob just going to say, I think yeah. I told this story once. Yeah, you did. Yeah, you did. Uh, Daryl Waltrip won the race in a Budweiser Colonial Bread Pontiac owned by himself. Uh, Bob, uh, excuse me, Terry Labonte was second in a Piedmont Airlines number 44 Oldsmobile with Bob Labonte listed as the owner. I believe it was Labonte Motorsports. And in third place was Dale Earnhardt in a number eight GM Goodwrench Chevrolet. I love when you get, like, back in the day, you had the cup drivers racing the Xfinity Series. It was the exact same car, but it, they owned it themselves. Um, of course, at this time, it was uh, Daryl Walter driving the Tide car of the Cup Series. Uh, eventual 1986 champion Larry Pearson finished seventh in his number 21 Chattanooga Chew Chevrolet owned by his father, David Pearson. The 1987 race at the Amico 300 was run on August 2nd. Morgan Shepard won that race in the number 97 Winter Circle Products Pontiac. Larry Pearson uh, would win the 87 championship too. He finished third in that event. Darrell Waltrip was fifth. Patty Moise was eighth. Elton Sawyer was 18th. Dale Jarrett, 19th. Rob Moroso, 21st. Rick Hendrick was 24th in the number 15 Levi Garrett Chevrolet. Rick Mass, 25th, Rusty Wallace, 26th, Mark Martin, 29th, and in last, 33rd, Bosco Lowe. Cool name, bro. Cool name. I had to mention that one. Bosco Lowe. It just, just sounds like a, sounds like a, he probably isn't, but he sounds like a greaser from the, from the 50s who's just a heck of a street racer in his roadster. I mean, just, just, that's what I got from that. So, Bosco Lowe. Sorry you finished off that day, bud. Uh, Moise led 18 laps in this race, her first 18 laps ever led in the Xfinity Series. And I did, did again, she, I think you said that before, uh, and I did want to share, she unfortunately led four more laps in her career, but she led 18 on a road course. Impressive. Uh, road Atlanta is still going strong today, yes. This weekend, it plays host to the final race of the 2021 IMSA Sports Car Championship with its famed event, the Petit Le Mans race so with that let's jump into the windshield i just shared we have racing this weekend here in north america watch it it should be fun uh, i will be at work i work this saturday now uh it uh so yeah it takes place on saturday here november 13th nascar is in its off season so we won't see track so we won't see cars on track until february but there are tests for the I next was told this car. was the longest off-season in NASCAR history. Or one of the, if not the most longest, the longest off-season currently. I can believe that. It's like 105 days of the Xfinity race after. Yeah, I, I can buy that. Yeah. Man, it's going to be weird. I already, I'm already having off-season withdrawal. I know it's easy to fill the void with football, but every I'm, year I think, oh, I'm so excited for college football. I love college football. I love watching college football. And then I sit down to watch it that first Saturday and realize... I have no invested interest in any of these teams. I do not care about any of you. I don't. I, I, I've never been able to fill a racing void ever. So I, I feel can't. This is why Formula I, E needs to run races in December again. 
this is why I feel really bad for people who are IndyCar only fans. That's who I really feel bad for. It's like those poor guys get the longest off season in sports, man. Ugh, horrible. Formula One keeps things going, though. Uh, they will be in Brazil at the Interlago Circuit for the Brazilian Grand Prix. That's this Sunday, November 14th. On November 21st, it's the replacement race at Lausanne International in Qatar. Uh, then the F1 season wraps up with races at uh, in Saudi Arabia on December 5th and Abu Dhabi on December 12th. You mentioned here, Rob, Supercars will hold its third out of four events at the Sydney Motorsports Park this weekend. Race 26 will take place at 12.45 a.m. Eastern Standard Time Saturday morning. Then Race 27 will take place later that night at 9.35 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, with Race 28 following at 12.45 a.m. Sunday morning. And uh, as I did say, uh, IMSA this weekend at Road Atlanta. And hey, we're going to share it right now, Rob and Roll. We'll also have a New Year special again. Uh, including the Robin Roller Awards, the way too early predictions. We've done those both times. We have fun with those. It's kind of fun to go back and look at that. Did we get something right? Did we, how, 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 how did we do? Um, so we're looking forward to that. Stay tuned for that. I think we'll probably be recording that around the Christmas time frame. We're releasing around that you know time frame, New Year's time frame as well. So pay attention to that. We'll 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 tell you guys when when we're doing it. We have some we have some shows still to do. F one's racing through December twelfth there, so uh, we have some time to remind you. Uh, so with that, thanks for listening. I uh, hope you enjoyed it. We know we went long here. Um, that happens sometimes on this show. We're going to work on getting that. We try. We do try to work on it, folks. Next we'll season should there. have some. In some some changes to hopefully yeah. help with our, our, our the, the length, but for now, yeah. this is always why you know that's a, there's a neat little tool at the bottom of your little podcast thing where you can actually speed us up if you want, or and you can be make like me. make the time go a lot go a lot faster. Or you're like me and you enjoy a good long podcast. You know, I I, I love it. I love it when uh, I, I I do listen to the Dale Jim Dallin Door Bumble Clear. Um, I also listen to I'm an Office fan, a fan of The Office. So I listen yeah. to The Office Ladies podcast with Jenna Fisher and, and oh, Angela. Yeah, Kennedy. I've heard good things about that. Love that. Love that podcast. I love it when their podcast, each episode is like more than an hour long. When it's more than an hour long, I'm like, yes. Yeah. Yes. I love so if you like longer podcasts, great. If you like the speed of stuff, that's fine too. Just don't make us sound like chipmunks. That's yeah, just, I'm not, not going to be weird. Alvin here. That I, I, I don't want to hear myself speeding up. <laughs> I don't want to do that. So let us know how we're doing. Play along with the upshift downshift questions on on Twitter and let us know your what your favorite Gen Six uh, paint scheme was. And we don't even care if you did the Darlington throwback. We just did that to to keep things simple for us because there's so many good throwbacks that they had. In the, yeah, because the then it would have been unfair. I would have just picked all this, but, but, but like just would have gone through and process of elimination of a bunch of throwback schemes. That's exactly what Rob said he would do last week if if we would have done that and included it. So I said non Darlington throwback, and he's like, that makes my life simpler. <laughs> so. uh Socials here, uh, be sure to follow uh, the show at Robin Roller, just as it sounds, R-O-B-A-N-D-R-O-L-E-R. That's on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and search us on YouTube as well. Uh, Rob uh, on Twitter is at R-P-E-E-T-R-S-3-3. That's Rob Peters 33 I'm at Roller underscore zero one, R-O-L-L-E-R underscore zero one. Thanks for listening, everybody. We hope you enjoyed the NASCAR season just like we did hang in there race team will be back before you know it and uh the holidays will help you get through as well and uh but we have some f1 for about another month 
to keep us satisfied. Stay tuned with us. We'll have some and great shows cars. ahead. Don't and supercars. And supercars. When do they? If you're willing to stay life? up that late for them, I, I will say. If you're not, Rob will inform you about it. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you everything that you need to know that happens. I he forgot to that. mention that David Reynolds got uh, didn't get to race this past weekend because he didn't get vaccinated. No. You know that? Do you know that? He got. He, I, that's for a totally different type. Terrible, terrible thing to bring up right when the show's about to end. Yeah. Well, we'll end it on a happy note and say we'll see you next week with uh, racing from Brazil and maybe something special. We don't know yet. We're going to make it a short episode for you. We don't know. So, for Rob Peters, I'm Josh Roller, and this was The Racing with Robin Roller Podcast. Have a great week, everybody. The Vol-